Do you? No, I don't. What? You, you, I can't ask you if you want to do a no, show. No, you can. Go ahead. Oh. You know what? Let's just mix it up. We're gonna we're let's gonna, keep it fresh, like gonna, in a like in a marriage. Keep it fresh. Do something well, different. Well, kind of like we're an improv team. Oh, is that what it is? Or vodka? well, ask the question. Do you want to do a show? Oh no. Oh. Okay. Good night. I thought you did pretty well. Good night. That wasn't too bad. I'm going back to bed. I am. It's 10 a.m. By the way, I am. Uh, Fresh off of a nine-day trip to Wisconsin. That doesn't sound fresh. Nine days and seventy-two pounds later, I got out of it. Oh, I'm, I'm like, you lost seventy-two pounds in Wisconsin. Oh God, no. that's impossible. I was gonna say, yeah, you're like, basically, you get off a plane there, and they shove a needle in your arm that just has like sauce. Well, and it's like, not even that. My geez. family, I come from a family that I feel like it's required. The three meal a day and the snacks in between, like this, it's it's required, and I just. My lifestyle changed so much when you come out here that it, I just forget, and I and I and I almost feel obligated to just just pound down food. Yeah, you, I the, the way I don't here. Yeah, it, but when you first moved out here, did you kind of rail against the? Does this song play? The, the, like the people listening to the podcast hear this song this long? It plays throughout the whole show. You didn't know that? I, I never turn it off. It's on. It's on. It's on loop. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John Huck. What I was gonna oh. say was, when you first moved out here, did you sort of like scoff at the way people ate or the things they said about health? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's enough out of you. But then after a time, you're like, oh, you know what? I do feel better when I don't eat six hamburgers, or you know. And then you start to kind of adapt to where you're living, and you start to eat that way. And then you go back and you're like, oh, my God, I forgot. I forgot this is how people eat. And you do feel obligated. Like, I used to feel obligated to just to drink myself silly and to eat, like, a thousand White Castles. You know? I will answer that question um, in no particular order. The answer is uh, no, I didn't feel that way because by the time I had gotten out here, I was shaving my body. I was uh-huh. fake tanning and I was exercising all the time. You were doing and this I was in uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, so oh. I I w- I had a um, I did the classic. Well, this is what they do out there. Prep, you know, like when you always oh, see. Okay. You know how when you see people that are clearly from somewhere else on vacation and they look more like what they think people out in LA look they're, like, they're and we stereo, look like yeah, yeah, we look like us. Yeah, that was my whole my whole thing was like. That's I what I was when I came out here. White, oh, yeah. I was whitening I was my opposite. teeth. I was doing. I oh was, my I god! Was so no, I was the opposite. I, w- I, I, I was, I was like, you will accept my disgusting version of myself. <laughs> like I was just putting it in people's faces. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Sounds, even... sounds like people were having fun around you. <laughs> oh man, I was a hoot. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you will accept me. Did I just fart on you? Yeah, you did. Ex- well, you will that's accept exactly that. That's exactly right. It was exactly. It was. It was. Uh, it was you abrasive. Accept it. You know yeah. what I mean, it was, I used to uh, run with my shirt off. I mean, these were different whoa. times. These were different whoa, times. Whoa, whoa, whoa! And not from the cops. <laughs> just like on purpose, you were just running. You know, I think one of the reasons why I never peaked successfully the way I wanted to yet physically is because I haven't been arrested yet. <laughs> Dude, how f- this I is- have a th- I do have a theory that a lot of successful people have <laughs> have been in jail <laughs> because the picture the head the, the their their first headshot is always the mugshot that comes out. So it's my <laughs> That's funny. Dude, it's true. My my Nicole, uh my wife came home uh a while back and she, she goes, I saw two people. We live in Los Angeles, okay? She goes, I saw two different people getting arrested today. And I started laughing, and I go, yeah, so? And she goes, well, and then I look at her, I go, wait, have you never been arrested? And she goes, uh, no, and I think it's weird that you have. <laughs> I was like, 
Oh yeah, I mean, what? Like choices. How have you? That's exact, choices. That's exactly right. Choices. She made different choices than you. Yes. And also, let's be honest. I mean, it's going to be. I think the percentages are extremely low that women are going to say, "Yes, I have been arrested." Yeah, right. Or or have been in those situations the that inch, I was the in. The chances for, are right. increasingly higher. That previous to the age of 25, oh, an yeah. adult, that I'm sorry, not even a borderline adult oh, male, not even close, has been arrested yeah. Yeah, yeah. or at least been in trouble or run from the police and knock out. Oh, arrested. so many times. Now, in high school, I have run from the police. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you yeah, know, yeah. breaking up the parties. Dude, and gone. See ya. I think I've told you before, but I, I'll never forget the party where somebody yelled cops and, and I watched this girl run through a screen door, but uh, she didn't run through it. It kept it stayed on her as she was running <laughs> for a little while. Beautiful. It's one of the funny and then of course she fell over it and then Tumbled. rolled and got right back up and just kept, kept going. going. Yeah. yeah. The fear of the in high school, adrenaline. the fear of police and the adrenaline, you're you're gone. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Uh two things really quick before we bring in our guest. I walked into a screen door over Fourth of July weekend. It happens, but I'm At sure my mother in law's house. I was completely sober. I was giving my brother-in-law tips about how he should be packing. He was like, well, we got these. He was going on a camping trip, and he was like, I don't know how we're going to get all these. He's got two kids, a wife, a bunch of other stuff they're bringing. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff in. And I go, well, you keep adding tubs. And I go, you can't add tubs, bro. And then I thought that sounded funny, so I kept saying, hey, bro, you can't add tubs. As I was trying to get into the kitchen to get some water, and I just... Walked into the screen door. I have a question: Is there a screen door inside the house? Or- no, I was on the back patio. Uh, okay, because I was walking into. To say nobody, nobody, normally there's not a screen door to get in the kitchen uh, no, from well, the, inside. The kitchen, it was outside. the kitchen yeah, yeah. dining room area yeah. is yeah. goes out to the back patio. Yes. But a fun, this fun style. Yeah. At least, hey, listen. At least you weren't doing a like, and I've had enough of you, and I'm out of here because that's always the worst. Yeah, and then I've done that before, where I was with a bunch of my bosses on the Jimmy Kennedy experiment in their hotel room. It was like my first. We went off, like I'd been to Costa Rica for Temptation Island, but this is my first location shoot for Jamie Kennedy, and I was with, like, uh, I'm only saying these names now because uh, he'll know who they are, our guests will know who they are, but like, uh, Henry Cota was in the room, it was his room actually, and then like Simone, and uh, I don't know that David, uh, that Fransky was there or not, but like, me and a couple other people had had partaken in a dube, if you will. And uh, I, I was still like uh, intermittently smoking cigarettes at this point. So I said, I put a cigarette in my mouth. I go, I'm going to go out on the, all my bosses are in a room in a half circle. And I stand up and I put a cigarette in my mouth. I go, I'm going to go out on the balcony, smoke a cigarette. And everyone's like, oh, whatever. And I just walked and I walked into the screen door with a cigarette in my mouth and it just smashed up against my face. I put... Like, I was mid-stride, so I put, like, a huge... I knocked the door off the track. I bent it, like, almost in half. Mm-hmm. I, like, fell into it. <laughs> and I turn around, and they're all just sitting there like, uh, so this is the guy in charge of all the production assistants? Um, and then Henry didn't miss a beat. Dude got up, straightened the door, like, tapped it out with a hammer. Like, he had his tools in there, <laughs> put it right back up. He's like, all good, bro. <laughs> I was That's like, hilarious. Oh, awesome. Um, I, I, remi- I, I don't... I'll never forget, uh, and uh, this guy will remain nameless because we don't talk anymore, but I had to fire somebody when I was working at the Herald once, and we got into, like, a heated argument to the point where I'm like, just give me your keys, and you are out of here. And he threw his keys at me, and he's like, I hate you. I'm out, whatever, right? And I walked him out of the building, and I'm like, go. You go. He's like, I am. I'm out of here. I'm done with this place. I'm sick of all you people. And he gets in his car. I'm his like, car get out. keys are on the keys he no. threw at you. And he's sitting there, and I'm like, go. And he's like, 
Oh, his car won't car start. won't start. And I'm like, get out. He goes, I can't leave. You need to jump me. And I will. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I will jump you. I will jump you, and you will get out of here. And like, the literally argued about good, me helping him. The angriest good Samaritan of all time. And so I pull my car up. At, we just got into like a literally shouting. I pull my car up, and I'm jumping him, and I'm looking at him, and finally I go. Come on, dude. This is fucking hilarious. <laughs> this is fucking hilarious. And he goes, no, it's not. He got in his car and he started it up. And he walks out, grabs the things off of there, slams it and drives away. And I was like, no, that was that fucking was hilarious. Was I'm out of here. Jump my car. I will jump your car. Um, all right. uh, last thing I want to let yep. you know, um, uh, and then we'll bring in Joe. I, uh, um, I'm going out of town this weekend for a wedding. And I made the mistake, like it's in the in the middle of nowhere, like up in the mountains, and we're staying at this place. And I was like, well, I'm curious to see some pictures of where we're staying. Mm-hmm. And I went there. I made the mistake of going to Yelp and then reading the Yelp reviews. Oh God! And the last three Yelp reviews over three months, people were just kind of complaining about like, ah, it's a little rundown. And like, part of me is like, I don't care. I'm from Wisconsin. Rundown means nothing to me. But the constant theme, and for this is three months in a row, with pictures attached, people were like, and. I don't know what's up with this white tissue over in the corner by the uh, by the couch. No one's three times it. in three months. Either someone is going in there and doing a you know the jerk a, a splooge, or literally for three months the same white tissue. Which is funny, they're not touching it. No, and neither is the cleaning crew. Yeah, the white tissue. So I swear That's to you, weird. if I get there and there's a fucking white it's tissue, it's a ghost. In there. Take a picture. It's a ghost. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a baby a splooge go- ghost. It's a baby ghost. Uh, <laughs> and now we're gonna bring in our guest, Ghost of the Cult. Uh, real quick, I want to say congratulations to uh, my wife, Nicole, and the rest of the Shark Tank uh, crew. They were nominated for oh, oh. Uh, another Emmy this year. And uh, Congrats. the nominations came out the other day. And this is, I mean, they've been nominated probably 12, 13 seasons in a row or whatever they've oh, okay. been on. But it's so like they're the Erica Kane of... Uh, no, they've oh, won. They used right, to okay. win. When they were, when they would, when the show was up against different shows, it would win a lot. Now it's up against Queer Eye. And that show is like not just changing lives, but like bringing awareness. And that it's all it's a whole nother level of of what those shows are supposed to do. So that's what won last year. Uh, and it'll probably win this year. But to be nominated, mm-hmm. this is the first year my wife would be able to actually get an Emmy if they were to win. Oh, because she is a producer on the show at this point. Man, so could you imagine having one of those in your house? That wouldn't be too shabby. You know, no. I mean, I've seen them. They're are nice. you going. Uh, yeah, we're going to go. It's the Creative Arts Emmys. So it's the weekend before the televised Emmys. Uh, they, I think they put them out on the on um, maybe the IMDb channel. I don't even know, but like, they, do you they, have to rent a tux? Yeah, yeah, you rent a tux. We went last year. It was fun. It was a good time. Um, the ball at the end is real nice. They, There's just a big ball. Just a ball. You touch it. It's one of those um, things you buy at Spencer's Gifts. It has. Is like, there a human in it that rolls around in it? It's in a it's in a fountain. Oh. Mm-hmm. It goes around. Oh. There's a chocolate fountain. Speaking of fountains, Ooh. there was a lot of food there. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just wanted to say congratulations. Uh, that's great. Uh, she busts her ass on that show, so it's nice to at least have, you know, some recognition yes. and, and whatever. Uh, all right, and now uh, without further ado, I think we should bring in our guest. Uh, I'll say that we've had a lot of multifaceted people, a lot of talented multifaceted guests on this show. You know, and like we've talked about several times, um, Brian and I, you can't just like well, you can, but like. If you're just gonna do stand up, or you're just gonna act, or you're just gonna write, like you, you have an op- opportunity to get involved in so many different things, you can be a comedian that also acts and writes and produces, and 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 it just it, it helps you stay involved in the business more uh, and longer, in my opinion, and it gives you 
a skill set that puts you, I don't know, kind of above a lot of other people who might not have that or know how things get done on set. But uh, our guest today is Joe Dallo. Uh, how are you, man? Thank you Good for man. being here. You, John takes pride in his intros, so he was well, really—he I, I I, was really trying to make sure he's going to hit it. He was going to nail it for you. It's, I mean, it it's was a, awesome. Thank you. Okay. I, it's important to note that, like, when I met you, was which is always <sighs> so back to me. Ago. It's always back to me. It's very important <laughs> to note that this is about me. Um, but it was—it seems like forever ago, and it yeah. kind of was like early two thousand two, something like that, two thousand three, yeah, two thousand three. Uh, you came on with the art department on Punked. Yep. And that was my, and so in my, you know, you meet someone like, okay, that's Joe. He's in the art department. That's Joe. He's in the art department. That's what Joe does. Joe does all this stuff in the art department. And then slowly you're like, oh, actually, it turns out Joe does a lot more than the art department. You know what I mean? Like there was all this, I found out you used to do comedy. You were in plays. You Yeah, I did a, I did a lot before I even got to Los Angeles. <clears throat> yeah, you're from... I'm originally from Philadelphia. Philadelphia, that's right. And then I, I did the typical thing and moved to New York... Well, it's and North Jersey, and then I was on tour, and then I went back to New York, on tour, and then uh, and then uh, I came out here afterwards. Then on tour with uh, what? What? Were you I was doing? in a show. I'm originally from a show called Tony and Tina's Wedding. If you don't know the show, it's the first interactive play where you go to a wedding and you, as the audience, are guests, and you go in, and it's a lot of fun. And they did the show in New York, and it was a hit. It was huge, monster hit, because yeah. it was never done like this before. Nobody had ever was, done improv in this style. It, it was dinner theater on an, on another level. Oh, totally on, on another a, level. On a much more entertaining level. The irony is that Tony and Tina's wedding waited to go equity till they would give them a separate category beside dinner theater because they weren't. They ah. go dinner wasn't part of the show. It was part of the show. It wasn't like you ate dinner. And gotcha. watched a show. Like when you got there, you were the guest, and when the, the dinner every night was baked ziti and salad because yeah. the mother was too cheap to get anything else. There's a huge fight because there's no brajut and the ziti. And uh, these are all they very won. Italian things, by yeah, the way. They won, actually, and they became, there's an, uh, it's called um, environmental theater, is an wow. equity category now because of Tony and Tina's wedding. I oh, always wow. thought that was really interesting. And equity is the union that you're you're in if you're doing plays in New York and, and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yes. It's, yeah, like, it's like the, the SAG, SAG yeah. of theater. And that's if it wasn't for Tony and Tina's wedding, I would have never gotten into stand-up comedy, which is the... Now, what did you? What was your role in Tony and Tina's wedding? I, uh, I had the sexy role of playing <laughs> Tina's ex-drug addict boyfriend. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, I remember telling my mom and dad, I was so proud. I was like, I get to grow my hair long and I'm going to have earrings. Oh, okay, so they didn't, you didn't get it because you looked They like weren't that. like, hey, no, I got it because. here, he's a grease bag. Yeah, it basically, that's the funny part is when you got cast, the director cast it by with the way you walked in. And I thought, I wanted to go in because I'm Italian and I, I for, I'm not going to say the girl I was with comes in and she's got this like pitch black hair and I got this long hair and a. It's the '80s, yeah. So like, I'm wearing the big, oversized, talking head suit Dude, you jacket. Got some, some of those, you, <laughs> you got some I mean? doozy. You have some shoulder pads. You have some uh, shoulder had, pads on that. Uh, oh yeah, shoulder pads oh, on that jacket with like the, a with Frankenstein two by four in there. Uh, yeah, but an earring. Do you have an earring? I had the cuff. I had the cuff because I was afraid. And then when I got the show, I got an earring, and I was like, I had to get it for the show. 
But and then oh, there was always the, is that the one you yeah, yeah like a, like a pinch on? Oh, you watch right. Breakfast Club? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was a Bender thing. Like you wanted to be Bender <laughs> when I was a kid. Like that's all Dude, I wanted to first be. First of all, yeah, the I wore my was dad's the, army boots. It was, was the silly. burnout untied, that everybody untied. loved. Untied, Dude, too big. The sloppier the better. Mul- multiple layers, <sighs> bandanas tied around. I want you to get back. I want you to get back to your story in a sec. But I want. I will tell you. I would say about seven, eight years ago. It's probably about seven years ago, when I was still at the Herald. Judd uh, Nelson came in and and yes. he was literally dressed no way. like he was John coming. Bender yeah no. but but in the later years and at first I was like is he like is he like method act like is he supposed to be this and I was like no <laughs> no that's just you're like who he is is he doing a Mad TV sketch where he's playing John Bender nope just dressed I just I found that fascinating anyway so back to your thing. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no, so right. I walked in like that, and afterwards the director said, as soon as I walked in, he was like, yeah, you are be perfect for the boyfriend who shows up late to the wedding wearing... I, I would, they, they would. The best part was, this. let me describe my costume as, it was old corduroys, a cotton, like, uh, ugly suit jacket, a big ugly tie, I wore a red bandana in the old band Around style. your head, to a wedding. To a wedding. Classy. And uh, my costume was shoved into a bag. That's how I got to hang my costume up every night. I could shove it into a bag so and hang it So the wrinkly, the more wrinkly, oh, the better. Yeah. And I came in late, got thrown out early. And <laughs> it was like, I went, because I was in acting school. See, the funny part is, is I started <laughs> in New Jersey as a kid, and I thought I'd always do theater, like I did high school theater and stuff like that. But when you're in South Jersey, you go to college for something you're going to do as a living yeah and i did that and then right after i finished my associates in laser fiber optics i was like i'm out of here Whoa, laser fiber optics. yeah it was like physics and stuff and this is not you were gonna you were gonna help bring internet to people in the world yeah or i was going to be the guy running the lines which was because you had to go to school for the rest of your life and the thought of actually having to go to school for the rest of your life to keep up with a science was frightening <laughs> Yeah, it's so, ever changing. Yeah, and yeah. it was, and think then it was they was just finding out what lasers could do. Yeah, yeah. And now it's you know, I probably would be in a millionaire. I was gonna say now you'd be living on a houseboat, yeah, or a yacht or something. This is kind of depressing. Well, thanks for coming in. Um, <laughs> you got a blade, I could. Um, and it was funny because I came home one day and I just said to my parents, uh, "I'm putting myself through acting school," and I went to Montclair State University, and I just me and two friends moved up there, got an apartment, and. I went to acting school. Where's Montclair? That's Montclair's right about 50 miles outside of New York. Okay. Ups, the, upstate? Or? Upstate. No, no. Uh, right ac- My window of my first apartment, fifth floor walk up, 21 years old, was a view of the New York skyline. Oh, wow. Okay. 50 miles away, so it was like a, it was like a Smaller, picture. And I was like, <laughs> I'm home, and this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And yay. Yeah. And I got like two years into college, and I was like, I want to do something else. I want to be professional. And the girl with the crazy black hair that brought me to the audition showed me this backstage, because back then there was no internet. No, nope, yeah, backstage. No computers. Yeah. There's nobody calling you up. You had to go to the backstage, look through the whole That's thing. Right. And I, she shows me this thing. This Italian is where the people auditions wanted are. in Philadelphia <laughs> for this show, big hit, and took me to the audition of Philadelphia. And that's when I walked in looking like John Bender. Only I only weighed like 130 pounds. So can you? Make, I look like Bender if Bender like had a sweet sweet meth habit. Yeah, like he <laughs> just like after high school is like you know, the principal guy really fucked yeah, me up. Vern was a dick. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that's what got me into Philly, and that's what really kind of started me on the in the stand up world. In so 1980s. so you're originally from Jersey. 
I'm, a, I'm born in Philly, raised in Jersey. And then went back to Philly. And then wound up moving all the way into a giant circle and moved back into Philly. But, what got, but stand-up is such a different beast. Uh, obviously, you didn't have a fear of performing in front of people, so you knew that. But well, what no, but was, he didn't do stand-up until after Tony and Tina's That's wedding. what I'm saying. Oh. So that, that oh, part of it, you get to, yeah. obviously, you knew that there, that part of it, being on stage, having a stage presence was not a big deal. But I will say that, to me, I've found that that does not guarantee that you would still get into that because a lot of people still don't want... It's still an individual art form, right? So you still oh, yeah, have to have totally. a desire, right, to go through that process. And let's be honest, you know, when you're an ensemble cast, you're doing all that stuff, and I'm not telling you that you don't already know, it's a lot easier than when you just all of a sudden walk up on stage and people start folding their arms like, all right, dude, so you're, you're fucking... You believe you're the best, so go ahead. Oh, you it's, know? it's the most... So when you did it, what happened? When you're like, I'm going to do you, that. And where did it come from that I want to do that? Uh, my first time actually ever doing stand-up was my senior year in high school oh, wow. on a talent show <laughs> in South Jersey. And I grew up in like total suburban, really early 80s. And I decided I wanted to do a stand-up routine. So I wrote a stand-up routine and got up in front of my high school class, the auditorium of people. And I had jokes, and I was making fun of the principal, and I'm making fun of teachers, and I'm doing impressions of the principal because I thought he didn't speak English. He only spoke Italian. But meanwhile, I had to go on like the freaking Beatles and follow a band called Main Vein. Now, <laughs> just go where your head goes when you hear that Main Vein. It's exactly the music you're thinking. So when I go on stage, the whole front row is screaming at the top of the lungs, Main Vein! And I'm, I feel like I'm bombing, like because all I can hear is it's this just front row, and I'm like, else. I'm like, how oh, Mr. Capelli's not, doesn't speak <laughs> English, and, and and I'm hitting my marks, and I I just was, and I'm getting worse, and I I get really mad. I finished like whatever was the end of a bit, and I said like, bye, and I like walked off stage, and I was so, I was so crestfallen. I was like, I just always wanted to do it at the, at age like 16, you know, I guess how old we are, yeah, and uh, I get. Off stage, and then I go to the weekend, and I'm just like, this sucked, man. It was the worst. Why would anybody do that? And I go into my English class, and it's Mrs. Nixon who was, all right, can I say Kurt? She was a bitch. Like, she yeah, was, yeah, you can she was tough. Mrs. Nixon was the toughest, meanest teacher. You hated having her. She was sixth period English. I'll never forget. I walked into class. We get done. She's teaching. She finishes about 10, 15 minutes early and goes, I don't know if you were at the talent show, but Mr. Dallow here did a comedy routine that I thought was very funny and didn't get a chance to finish it. Joe, for extra credit, would you get up and do your stand-up <laughs> comedy routine? Wow. And I got up in front of my class in English, and I did my jokes, and I got a lot of laughs. And I was like, this is really cool. And then the principal loved to pick on me. Now, all of a sudden, I was famous in high school because like, when we did the cheer, he's like, where's Joe Dallow? Where's Joe Dallow at? And uh, it was a great feeling. Speaking so, of main vein, you tapped the vein in that moment. I ta I, I, well, the best thing could have ever happen to me was that she realized that I, I had a hard time getting through it. And somebody told me afterwards, they were like, behind the screaming, everybody was laughing. Like, everybody was having a great time. Which, yeah, but which is the classic stand-up form. All you notice is what yeah. It's the people that not. aren't. The people that aren't. You could be in a Madison Square Garden. Everyone could be chanting your name except one guy in the 50th. 500th row, that's the guy you see. You're like, oh, that dude doesn't like me. But you also learned a super, in my opinion, a super important, not lesson, but like idea that 
stand-up comedy, and I know there are guys that do Madison Square Garden and all that shit, but stand-up comedy is m- much more uh, entertaining when it's intimate. Mm. Yeah. When you don't have screaming people, when you have uh, a, I w- I'll take a smaller room Any listening. Day. And and hanging on every word I'm saying and paying attention than uh, any day than like 10 million people on their phones or looking around or screaming or whatever. It's just like Ugh. the more intimate, the better. For what me. so 16 early 80s? What who would have been influencing you at that oh, yeah. time who that would have you? got you to decide to do uh, stand up? I am and always will be a huge uh, Robin Williams fan. Okay. Nice. Uh, I love the, his energy. I kind of try to emulate him sometimes in my energy on stage. Where people have said it's fun watching you. It's like watching Robin Williams sometimes because I get in the bigger rooms, I'll, like the Ice yeah. House and shit, I'll get really big. Because um, that's Carlin, you know early '80s, right? That's there's not really HBO, Eddie. so it, it's mostly Tonight Show stuff, right? That's pretty yeah, much well, where yeah, you were that, seeing most of the stand-up, that's right? What, that's what you lived for. Like I would stay, I would stay up late to watch. Just to see who the comic was on the Tonight Show. Yeah, I was even before she was Ellen. I was an Ellen fan. Like one of my greatest feelings in the world is like somewhere in the late '80s, I got to watch Ellen DeGeneres in the Funny Bone Cafe for free because I was a comic that was you know right, hanging working out. hanging out there, and I got to sit there and listen to who nobody knew who this woman was, but us as comics knew who she was. Yeah. And she's her like, early standup was great. She's yeah. one of the best yeah. comedians I've ever heard in my life. I love Ellen DeGeneres, and her last special. Still, help. people. Bang, 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 bang. Well, Neil, it held Bren- up. Neil Brennan directed that special, I think. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Neil doesn't get involved in garbage. Yeah, but I, I kind of always felt what I never did, and I guess I try to, or as I've continued, I don't try to be like anybody else, and I try to break away from my from everything else and be this own my own energy on stage. So I'm not, you know, looked at as I, I'm not good at just standing up there and saying what I. A joke, like I, I have to. You got to move around. I got to move around. I got to make it physical. I got to make it crazy, or I get angry. Right, get... but that's also who you are. So like, yeah, you, people I... don't realize that though, because I had a friend call me and go, "Oh, dude, I saw your video. Like, what's that you're doing on stage? Is that like a character you're playing?" And people that knew me from before I moved to LA went, "Oh man, it was so great to see you back up on stage again." Right. And I was like, "See, they knew who I was. This energy. Now I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in my early fifties now." People aren't used to me being like, you've seen me on stage. I'm like, right. Crazy. You're easy. You're, you're animated. You're amped, you know. <clears throat> but also, <clears throat> if someone's just meeting you, like, <laughs> if I didn't know that you'd done comedy before, I hadn't seen any of the video, and I just worked with you for a few weeks on Punk or whatever, like, your role on that show, and, the, and, and it's something that, I'm, that I appreciate, is that when you, got, when you had a job, you did that job. Your job, you didn't walk around, like... There are people that get hired out of like to production assist out of film school now who want to be directors, and they're like, "Well, no, I want to be a director." Yeah, but right now you're being paid to get the coffee, so get the coffee. Like, yeah, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm just saying like when it. your job was <laughs> to be the art, the production designer or the art director on a shoot, that's what you did. You didn't walk around going, "Well, when I was a comedian," you know what I mean? There was no. Oh. So that kind of didn't. So it took. People, it takes people a while to figure out that you used to do stuff like that or that you are capable of that kind of thing, you know? I, I try. It's funny because... You mean you didn't have t-shirts made? I used to be a stand-up? I used to be... A, well, well, ask me how, about my stand-up career t-shirt. But you know how people... Yeah, but are, he's so right. So many people no, I, like I know. that. I know, they I talk know, about it. They'll be like, oh, well, you know. Because I remember John coming up to me, and, and you were just doing stand-up then. You had just started. Just started. And like, I'm yeah. super supportive, and I always... And so I would always go see John perform. I've, 
That's where I've seen you. I've, I've gone to Dallas, Texas and saw you perform. Um, well, that's oh, ridiculous. Shit. But yeah, remember I saw you at that show. Oh my God! Why were you there? I was, was doing. A, I was doing a hidden camera show there. But I was doing a movie. Thank God about, it wasn't. Well, like no, you posted it on. <laughs> and on I, I drove thought, to Dallas. I mean, yeah, this is what the gig. this is what friends do, right? They'll go wherever I it is. I drove from <laughs> L.A. to Dallas because I hadn't seen John's set in a while. But I remember seeing John perform and thinking, like, you just know when. At that point, I had been doing stand-up from 1989 till when I moved away from New York, which is like 2003. That's crazy. And I just stopped, and then so I knew how when a comic was good. I saw Jim Norton in a club that I oh, wow. bombed in, and he was the headliner, and everybody was bombing, bombing, bombing. And this young little kid comes up, and we're all like, "Yeah, dude, this is going to suck. This is going to suck." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." You know, he's just all cool, little nervous tweaky. We're like, "Oh, yeah, this guy's going to do good." Got up and destroyed, yes. destroyed this room. And I've been yeah. a Jim Norton fan since then. I yeah. think he's, I, I can't stop. I think I've seen everything he's ever done. His, I watched, yeah, I remember that podcast. That, well, he had a, a, a special called like Black Rain or something like oh. that, and it was really funny. Like it was really good. Yeah, I, that's what was uh, funny. Was I was at that point where I was getting to see a lot of these young comics who are now famous were just starting. Yeah. And I remember when I did my first set, I did impressions. I remember I did The Seven Dwarfs. This is where, when you did your first set. Oh, I did my first set. It was Tony Tina's wedding, and I was like, there was a funny bone comedy. I'm saying like again. There's funny bone comedy up the street. Oh, so you were still in the play. At the I was time. in the play. Oh, okay. And I kind of used that a lot at the yeah, time. Yeah, I'm in this hit thing, which by all means, yeah, you should. Yeah, oh, I totally. I was like Tony Tina's. I got, I played the comedy caravan and stuff like that just by using the name Tony and Tina's. But you had to do an open mic. So I had been writing material with my friend Steph uh, Strand, who I still write with today. Nice. She's still one of my people that helps me write. And. Uh, I still write with Steph to this day. In fact, we just wrote the other day. She's great, and she pushed me, and I pushed her, and we pushed somebody else. I forget who else was trying to do stand-up for the first time we were going to get on stage. And I wrote this whole act where I did impressions. I did The Seven Dwarfs, because when I was a kid, I had already done stupid shows in my basement because I saw The Little Rascals, and I used to do, like, you know, Humphrey Bogart, and mm, you dirty rat. Yeah. Like, I used to do James those Cagney. dumb impressions. The, but the ones you got from Bugs Bunny. Right, right, yeah. exactly, exactly. Basically, <laughs> you were Warner Bros. cartoon on stage. Yeah. <laughs> So I did the Seven Dwarfs, and my big impression was I can do the best Jim Ignatowski impression. Oh, 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 from Taxi, yeah. Let me tell you right now, I don't know what's right. <laughs> anyway, so I do this Jim Ignatowski impression. I do all my impressions. I finish my set, and I kill. Like, my first time on set, boom, you know, because your be friends come be to be see beginner's you. Beginner's luck, dude, beginner's luck. L beginner's luck, that you always hear you're rushed, you know. And I'll never forget, this dude comes up to me, and he goes, uh, he goes, great set. He goes, uh, I would cut the impressions out because your other material is funny and that's kind of hacky. And I go, I, I don't know what hacky is. This is my first time <laughs> I, ever doing stand-up. And I just did 90% impressions. Right. So <laughs> cut it out, I'm going to have a minute and a half of material. Yeah. Uh, but back then, your, your open mics were 10 minutes. Because Good God! Yeah, well, there wasn't ten as many comics. Yeah, yeah but dude, yeah. 10, ten like, minutes. It's yeah. brutal watching someone who doesn't know what they're doing do oh. three. So to watch someone do ten, I would, I would. And you my had a limit. Out. They would be ten comics picked at the Funny Bone. You had to get there early, and then they would slot all the big comics in. Like you know, all kinds of big comics would show up. Uh, Stephen Wright was always there. He'd oh, always get Stephen, Stephen Wright coming yeah. up with his stuff. And the com and this guy says, "Well, good luck." And I, I said, "This is my first time." <laughs> and he goes, "This was your first time. 
you better stick with this, man. You better stick with this. And I was like, thanks. It was, and he goes, Ralph Harris. And I'm like, oh, cool, Ralph Harris. And I shake his hand, and he walks away. I had no idea who Ralph Harris was. And then I saw him get on stage and just just pick apart an audience at an open mic like it was a concert. Yeah, like, he's been at it for a while. Huh? Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Like he, and he's clean, and he does characters. And I got to be really great friends with his brother, Roman Harris. We're still you know, friends to this day on Facebook. Yeah, friends, whatever still that a way means. to keep in touch with people. Yeah, and me and Ramon were kind of like buddies, and that's how I got through the comedy world. And I started out, and that's what you did back then. It was back when there was, you go, you do the open mic, you went to the comedy, uh, the comedy, whatever it was, not the store, it was something else in there. The cellar? No, I was in the comedy. There's like two clubs, the comedy loft or something. Oh, in New York or in No, no, this is in Philly. So you did the Philly circuit, and then the Philly circuit got you gigs outside, and then from outside you went into New York. And East Coast was a little bit easier with that reach because you could drive to those places Mm -hmm. in a relatively quick amount of time or or take transportation and not have to sweat it too bad. Whereas like trying to do a gig in Oregon from Los Angeles – you're driving 24 hours or you're flying up there, you know? Losing money. You yeah, basically spend yeah. money to lose money. Yeah, whereas in the East Coast, you can go Philly, New York, yeah. Boston, D.C., oh, Maryland. The like, road was great. You would have loved it. I used to leave New Jersey, and I would go right down Delaware. I played Delaware. Then I would hit Maryland. Then we'd go to the Carolinas. We did Virginia. Yep. We'd get to the uh, back down to South Carolina and, and just head right back up the coast, Virginia Beach. And then you'd finish your, you know, whatever, how much time you'd. But you had to meet comics. You had to be good enough for comics to like you. You had to be a good person to be on the road. You had to be an MC that respected the other people. I did MCing for a long period of time, more than I think I needed to, possibly. But I felt like if I kept being able to get in front of 10 people in a shitty bar in Northeast Philadelphia and make them laugh, yeah. then I've hit the then I can move on. Like I challenged myself to do that and not beg, like, oh, I've got 30 minutes. Can I be a feature? And yeah. then because Though that first time went really well, there was nothing worse than the second time. Dude, the next when, five years. Uh, <laughs> I was at. I do the fourth wall a lot, and it was hot a couple of weeks ago. And I do the fifteen-minute open sets over there. You pay for it, but it's worth it. You get in front of a stage, and it's going to suck. It's only other comics. Yeah. And a comic gets up and he's all hot. And he just starts complaining. I'm 25 and I killed this weekend. It sucks. And I hope we all die. And like fifteen minutes of crying the blues, and I'm like. You're crying the blues because you're bombing in front of nine comics. What are you going to do when the real world hits? Yeah. Like when you're in front of 200 people and you're going. Don't like you. Landing, (laughs) nothing, landing, nothing, landing, nothing. He'll figure it out on his own. Yeah. Or he won't, right? Or he won't. Or he'll he'll stop. So when you did the the high school stand-up and it went really well. Then you just went straight into acting. Was that just because you didn't see a road to stand up at that time? Because you, you said that was about eighty one, and you didn't do it again until eighty nine. Eighty nine. Um, but you never. I'm assuming you never stopped thinking about it. I never just, stop. I never stop. But you never saw a path. I guess, I and it is hard for that. Kid. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I was a dumb kid from New Jersey. Like to me, the the these people were. I couldn't do that. Like that's that's yeah. crazy. I could do it over here. In my backyard or in my basement, but that's that's untouchable. And I think when I hit Tony and Tina's wedding, I, it was my first taste of like, if you want something and you're good enough, you can go for the next step. And it made me want to try. Was, here I was improving. I had news art. Oh, my local paper giant picture of me as Michael ah. Just. Like I was living the life. And then here's the funniest part. Is of your headshot in the cleaners? 
No, it uh, was that Pat Steakhouse, though. Okay, that's oh, good. There it is. That's better. Oh, I think it's down better. by now. Oh, I think it's down by now. Uh, Come on, Pat. Put that thing back up. Get up there. Yellowy and... Yellowy? <laughs> it's got a little beef stain yeah, on it. It's got a little drool of ketchup <laughs> coming out of the eye instead of a little ketchup tear just dripping. <laughs> drip, drip. The uh, funny part was the next best thing I got into was the Merritt Comedy Contest. Merit? The Merit Cigarettes had a, oh my God. a comedy First contest. First of all, awesome. Right? Yeah. It was awesome. It was like between Philly, Virginia, New Jersey. It was like all those states right around Cigs there. Cigs and comedy. And well, I I had, were... you had to turn a videotape in, and you did not. That, it's, it's Again, it's the 80s. Like You had the big container. You had... It's a lot of work, by the way, Dude, back yes. then. To, to give somebody oh your... God. Just to I didn't see your set. Thing. You're like, God damn it. Because oh. you knew how long it was going to take. First of all, you had to record it. Figure out if you didn't have the equipment, you had to get somebody to record it. And it's just that whole process. Jesus. So it gives me anxiety just hearing you dubs. say that. Yeah. Here comes Tony Lightning. to his weddings. The guy who hosts the show, who plays the caterer, goes, why don't you just do a show right here and we'll all play the audience and we'll videotape it as a real show. And I'm like, um, bitch. Good job. yeah, sure. That Good call. is a great idea. So we put a video camera up. He was an actual MC from Philadelphia. And he yeah, said, ladies and gentlemen, come place oh Michael Just at Tony and Tina's wedding. He's filthy, dirty costume, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Della. When I go out and it just looks like I'm playing any room doing comedy. Club. And I do a 15-minute set. Everything gets a laugh because when your friends are there and they and they're have acting. to laugh. Yeah. They're acting like laughter. And I got first runner-up. <laughs> I get an email, a thing in the mail that says, congratulations, you're first runner-up. If the guy above you in your area dumps, you get to play. You get to be the comic. They didn't tell me who it was because it was Italian. I probably would have had him taken care of. <laughs> but uh, I, I, that was my first video experience was like lying. So it's just ironic lying? that coming to L.A., what do I do is I create these fake situations and hidden camera. Yeah. And, and let's, I mean, what was that move? Like why, why New York <sighs> to L.A. when you're doing comedy? And I had played Comic Strip Live. I think I have that. I don't know if I have that posted yet. I think I'm going to post it soon. I have really long hair. Dude, You'll love it. You played. You posted something where you're wearing like a Sinbad shirt. I mean, with the long, red, with the long hair <laughs> and the goatee. It's longer. It's not super long, but it's longer. Oh. You had a sword. I don't know. It, it, you might as well have, dude. It was real funny looking. Oh really? I don't know. I have so many whack pictures. But I just want to say the '90s. Everyone was like, "Oh, let's wear these blousy shirts." With oh big god. Sleeves. Oh my like, god. I was. Big oh, I know what you're talking about. That ugly plat pat. It, See, look, the, it looks like you look like the pattern of Caroline's. It's yes, like a I, weird I, I know fucking... exactly what you're talking about. Uh, patterns. Well, I used to have... '90s patterns. Get them out. Oh. I, I wore big, baggy, pleated pattern shorts. That was my oh, night. No pleated way. shorts? Pleated. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm still getting over the fact you were running with a shirt off. That... <laughs> Hopefully in pleated running in shorts. The pleated running shorts now is just... You, uh, co you oh complete me now with that. That is. I just, I'm just trying... I just spend most of my time apologizing for my past. Did you ever <laughs> own an eight-ball jacket? No, and here's the thing. Oh I, was not, I was Only not. I was not. I did not buy my clothes in the mall. Like I was not a DJs for men kind of guy. I was not a parachute pants guy. Well, I was. I, I never. I never got the full extreme. I was mostly like jeans and white t-shirts. Thank God. I, mean, I, had, a, I had a couple looks. If you that can are, teach kids you know, anything. It's like that. The jeans and the t-shirt look is timeless. Yes, and you can't go wrong yes. if you're not looking to get embarrassed twenty years down the road. Yep. Yeah. Don't do what the local, what the newest trend is. 
wear a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, and that way all your friends are like, why was I trying to look like Vanilla Ice in this photo? Let me warn you right now. If the trend of half shirts comes back, don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, God. Don't do it. Do not do it. That should be a PSA. Oh, the half shirts. That should be a PSA, dude. Half muscle shirts. Yeah, or... With the Malibus. Or the Malibu with the Corvette on it. You're like, even Even worse was the mock... Football jersey half shirts because it was whole, mesh. mesh. Yes, mesh, the mesh half, shirts. half shirts that you'd wear under your pads at doubles. No, I'm talking about when you wouldn't wear it. Like people were oh, wearing wear them it. as a fashion. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do All you that remember hypercolor clothes, dude? No. Yes, what? I hate hypercolor it. clothes. Well, you put they your would hand change. on it; it would change color. Oh my that. god, I must have missed that thing. It I mean, was, gosh darn. You know what happened to it? Here's the funny part: is it failed because. If you were wearing them and you passed gas, you would just see a spurge of oh, you couldn't wear them on your asshole. And then yeah. they realized this was like the dumbest idea. And they pulled all the pants off. Yeah, yeah you know that? like oh yeah, you're real, you're real, you're real different color on your armpits. Yeah, I'm sweating like a yeah. pig over here. Like you can't. Like, Let's do body heat and like. Yeah. Why are you so hot or like under your tits? Like I don't know. It's just <laughs> That's a, amazing. Don't worry sweat about it. Yeah. What it should have been called. <laughs> so, you want to know where you're sweating the most? Wear this shirt. <laughs> so the reason why you got out of stand up and Half moved, or the reason why you got out of New York was because yeah. of your look. I, I missed this. Because no, of, oh no, no! Because of this shirt you wore, no, no, something no. happened. I, they asked you like, hey, this, you gotta get go, out, buddy. cut the hair, get. Rid- <laughs> That's kind of what happened. Do you? You don't remember Lucian. Lucian ran Comic Strip Live in New York. No. He was kind of like the Mitzi Shore kind of person of... This is when? In New York City. Uh, When 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 did you leave to come here? This is about... This is just... This is about 2002, I think, I did this club. And I go in, and they're having Best Comic of the Month or whatever, and I go in, and I kill, and I get Best Comic of the Month. I get to come back and perform for Lucian. And I get done my act, and I kill again, and I get off set, and I'm all happy, and I sit down, and Lucian sits in front of you. Here he is, Lucian. And he begins to tell me that my act is too general, that it's a road act, that I'm not doing enough stuff about myself, and that I should be doing more material about who I am and my hair. And I'm like, but I'm a road comic. I like doing jokes about observational humor, which I thought. You, I like. But you want your jokes to work in New York and Illinois like. and Wyoming and Ohio. And, and he wanted to get me on. He's saying the only way you can get on TV. So go out, redevelop your act, and come back later. And at this point, it's now 2003. It's 89 to 2003. I'm like, fuck you. I can't, I can't do this again. I can't. Yeah. I can't go through this again. And I'm in the midst of all this. And work sucks because of 9-11. And I'm not getting work. And I'm just frustrated. And I'm hating everything. And this guy, Oscar Albuerne, shows up, a friend of my uh, friend, Celine Hinojosa, God rest her soul. And she says, hey, this guy, Oscar's going to be there. Can you, my boyfriend, can you help him out? I said, sure, I need money, why not? And I worked for two days, and now all of a sudden, when I was in theater, I knew how to use tools because I was in the tech department. My years of carpentry while I was trying to be an actor and learning how to build houses, they all... Took an effect. All this starts to this help This great you out. woman, her name is Terry Raleigh. She taught me how to lead a crew when I was in college. So I knew how to run a crew. And I was like, yeah, I'll come out to L.A. Why not? Because you were you worked two days in New York on Punked? On Punked. It on was Punk'd. still... It was the Britney Spears... Yep, Britney Spears with... Um, the, uh, it was Dax. We, was, well, Dax wasn't Dax yet then. He was no, just an actor. Right, but it was like a double punk. Like They were going to try yeah. to punk Ashton, and the whole thing kind of failed. Oh, all failed miserably. Yeah, yeah. They but tried to fuck with Ashton. But that's right, because you, you weren't there. And then when they all came back from New York, because I didn't go to New York, because Mike Poland did New York. Yeah. So when you when they all came scary. back, like 
you were like the, I was like, who's this guy? They're like, oh, that's Joe. He was, and I remember one of the first things I learned about you is you were once in Tony and Tina's wedding, and you were <laughs> you were the new art guy. I was like, oh, oh, it was a lie basically when I got here because I came in and I, he's like, can you scenic paint? And I was on. Monster House. I'm like, yeah, I could see Nick Payne. I, I, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just like, he's like, make giant cracks. And I'm like, oh, my God, these are these people that can make three. And I just keep screwing. You go and over and start punching and, the wall. Oh, <laughs> like yeah, this? I was like, a chank. No, 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 paint the cracks uh, on, psycho. <laughs> but while I'm there, there's guys screwing up. And I'm like, hey, dude, you put this down if you use these kinds of nails. And I'm, and Oscar sees this and says he's going to make me the lead man. And if you don't know what a lead man is, it's basically the guy who runs everything and deals with Above the line and below the line. He's like stuck right in the middle. With the art department. Like every, With the art department. All the, the materials, all the, yeah, yeah. Oh, the hardest show ever. And I'm, and I sat down with Ben Lewis, who sat down and got really mad at me because who the hell am I? Some guy from New York who comes in here and thinks he could be the lead man. You don't deserve this. You should be an art PA. And I was mad. Hilarious. You and Ben Lewis get into it immediately. And I just stand there and I really respect Ben Lewis. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, fuck him. Mm-hmm. And I learned where I would use the oh this is the the book what was it the the book for you the four one one no the book for the driving Thomas guide the oh, Thomas, Thomas guide and I learned where every prop house was and I learned where everything was by memory and I went in there and I'll never forget the greatest moment when I first got here was a couple months later sitting with Ben Lewis who sat down next to me and went you know that shit I said about you not having the ability to lead this show <laughs> I was wrong you're doing a fantastic job there and I was go. like thank you and yeah. so, and now. I'm making money. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. As before. an actor. Yeah. As an actor ever. Yeah, you're, wor- getting, you're working all the time. And then ridiculously, we're getting to be in the shows. Like, John and I and my yep. friend Matt. Like, we're in... I'm in, like, over 25 episodes yeah. of Punk. Oh, at this easily. Point. It's like, put. look, we need people to go into the Justin Timberlake thing, put on FBI jackets. That's the art department. That's, the art yeah. department goes in. They're taking the stuff. We need someone to step on the guitar. That's a guy from the art department. Like, we... And probably, I don't know, legally or not, but, like, uh, we took... Almost too much advantage. Like, I would get angry sometimes when it was like they would just expect <clears throat> that you and 12 of your guys could be in a bit while, like, other shit needed to be going on. You know oh, yeah. I mean? I'm like, hire background. Hire ac- These guys aren't background. They need to be working on the things that we have coming up, not pretending to be having coffee in a restaurant. Like, well, I mean, technically, if they're the FBI well, that, and they're taking stuff out, they're technically striking the set. They are. And also yeah, acting simultaneously. You're right. That's when how they worked it around our, the contract. When it worked to <laughs> our advantage, it. when it Very made well. sense, when it looked like exactly right, when it was like, okay, they can start wrapping out in the middle of the bit if we haven't, yeah. then yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. That always was the way to go. But like, there are some times when it was like they wanted them in there to be useless yeah. and they could be doing something worthwhile. You know? And now here there's I I enjoyed it. Like that was my little tag back home. Like, look, I'm still an actor. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm I'm coming by with the broom now. And I'm making I'm mo- the actor. And I'm making more money. But also you guys And it was kind of cool. So fucking hard. Oh yeah. I mean that show just the world of hidden camera and the shooting schedules and what they ask of the art department on such a short notice, it's ah man. I, I would have snapped years ago. You know yeah, I mean? it it's I always compare it, my friend Mackie and I always compare it. It's like going to war. Mm-hmm. It I go to on every other I've never ever and I've been on a lot of shows. I've worked The Voice, I've worked uh, Bill Nye, I've worked some crazy shows, but nothing even comes close to the intensity, the amount of work, the amount of time we had to put in, the amount of pride we had in our work and the companionship. 
the people from that show are still the closest friends I have to this day from you, L.A. You kind of have yeah. to, and I, I'm, it sounds like, like you already agree with this based on the way you described it. You do kind of have to embrace it together and know that it's not going to be easy and it's going to be long hours and it's going to be a grind, but do it together. Yeah. Because otherwise, a lot of people get so grumpy and so pissed off, and every second they're on set, it's miserable. And you always look at them like, well, then you should just go. Because it's like you're wasting your time here. Because you're, you're going to do the job. You're going to hate every second of it. It's long days. It's a grind. Just embrace it you could and go, find a way through it yeah. or be pissed off and, go, and make everybody's lives miserable. You're doubling down on your misery, basically, when you, when and you, you go could, in with that mentality. Exactly. And you can find a, go- a job to be miserable for less hours a day. Yeah. At. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, oh, yeah. If, if you don't care, if, if you're just going to be angry no matter where you are, go work at a bank and be yeah. angry and get out at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, there were a, there, we had a few grumpuses on set, but almost to the point of like, that was just their personality. So you kind of just laughed at it, and then they knew that you were laughing at them, so they were like, kind play, of played into it a little more. Yeah. It was like it was just one of those things. Like that was the close. Like, and a lot of times you work a production, you work a show. It's a two week, it's a three week gig, it's a month gig, a six month gig, whatever. You think you're going to be friends with those people? You think you're going to know those people for the rest of your life? And then the show ends, and everyone has to go their separate ways. You can't all just you're not a package deal. Yeah. You don't, it's not like a, a baseball team. You don't just move from city to city. Um, so then you lose touch with these people. But Punked was on for long enough <sighs> that like people got married, had kids, got divorced on the show. <laughs> well, yes yeah. and no, yeah. I mean, a lot of yeah. people we punked, write it in. A lot of people we punked did end up getting divorced. It was like, and then there are some people that just aren't around anymore. People from the crew, people that we that mm. were that we punked. Like, there's just it was a long, empty. There was only eight cycles of that show, and it only probably ran from 2003 to said 2003 2000, to seven. 2007. Okay, yeah, that's what it says on the with like multiple incarnations that came after it. But that that initial run and that spawned. Real Wedding Crashers, which we did, which to me was like looked like the hardest job you guys had ever had. Yeah, um, no. our design. That was, was like they, they just insane. wanted people to just work twenty four hours a day, and the PAs. My brother was a PA. He had to work. The, uh, I, I got uh, an EP goes. Hey, why are these guys sitting down? I go. Oh, because this is his twenty second hour on the clock, and he's tired. Yeah, I think I, 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 I'm assuming that world has changed quite a bit, right? They they have to be. They're a little more careful about how much they're grinding people I, these days. Early 2000s, no one gave <laughs> two shits. No. I mean, there's you, a law you, now. I think somebody crashed their car and died on the way home from like a Spider-Man shoot or something. And yeah, like, there. I think also everybody was, and there's a big joke to me now is, hey, if you do this really hard work and bust your ass for this, we'll pick you up. We'll get you on the next one. Yeah. And you find out after a couple of years, there is no next there's one. No next <laughs> one. You <laughs> just keep working your ass off. You're yeah. working really, really hard. And now, for me, I'm like, I want to work a if it's a, I, I'm a designer now, so I just get to walk in, and this is how I design it, and I talk to the builders, and they build it, and then I'm there to discuss. But I, I try not to think like, oh, how can I make this super hard? I'm always like, how do I make this super easy? Dude, and, and then and I, also and I have give so the look that's wanted. Oh yeah, some of the funniest conversations I've had with Oscar is like when when we would be on a scout, and like. You know, maybe, maybe there was some smoking, maybe there wasn't, but like we'd we'd be walking around and I'd be like, Okay, so we're doing this and this and he'd go, You know what would be awesome? And he would get some wackadoo idea <sighs> and then he would go, Never mind, forget forget I said it, never mind. And I would be like, That is pretty awesome, dude. He's like, it's gonna equal like fifteen more hours of work for his crew. And I'm like, uh, but that would look cool. <laughs> so he's worked himself into a couple of yeah, those. He was like, there's nobody better. I, I oh, now man. worked nobody will top Oscar Albrani's brain. 
and his creativity that and the hidden camera world. That guy can make anything. All of them. And I've worked from, I've worked with Coda. I've worked I with like Henry. everybody. I like Henry. They're all great people. Yeah, yeah. But there's just something about Oscar Albrene's mind that made hidden camera special. And that's where I got the skill to to lead, to be. In, in the temperament. Whatever yeah. that is. His like. His ability to be laid back and chill with you, Ugh. but at the same time telling you exactly what needs to get done and how long it's going to take. Oscar never bullshitted anybody. He wasn't a yes man. He didn't just agree to things. Uh-huh. He would tell you. I mean, he might have, but yeah. like he would tell us why it was doable and how he could do oh, it. Oh, yeah. No, like, he knew. The funny part was he would not only... Uh, <laughs> He would come in with these insane ideas, and I'd be like, "Dude, that's never gonna work." And this is when I first started. When I'd be like, it's, "He went, oh, this, bro, bro, we're gonna put this over here, bro. And was, It'll work. Trust me." And be, I look at him like, "You are insane. That will never work." And it always worked to the point where I became the guy next to him. Going, people would go, "Hey, uh, Oscar, I don't think that." I'd be like, "Just, Just trust him. Let, trust let him process. do it." And yeah. it never failed. He was always right with these insane ideas. And man, the stuff we pulled off. I'll say, I'll holy say the, mackerel! The ones that the ones that I would say this is never going to work. That's never going. They're never even going to make it. It's never going to look real. Those are the ones that were always dominated. Oh, that were always, always the, best. the best. Like the ones that I was like, "Oh, they got this. No problems." Were the ones I was like. Oops. <laughs> you know what else, too? And this brings up Hidden Camera again with the differences. Back then, Hidden Camera, when we did Hidden Camera, you did not fake it. Those celebrities were real. They failed. There were failed ones, but it, we were 95% strong. They were ne- always real. We never shot B-roll. Listen, a lot of people got into a lot of fights with the executive producer of that show because he was kind of, he is, he's kind of the jerk and a tough, and he was mean and all this. But it comes down to if it weren't for him, Perfection would never have been in my the way I work now and the way Oscar was. So these two entities in this show, they demanded perfection from you. And if you didn't, that you'd get out of the way and they got somebody who could do it. And and that drive get, got me through a lot of years where I was just that's all I did 24-7. I was art department day in, day out, from when I landed here till about 2008. I well, think dude, I started you just came in out. and helped us out on the Eric Andre movie. You know what I mean? When yeah. I, that, I, I get into the work one day and they're like, oh, we have a guy, Joe Dallos, coming in. I go, what? And <laughs> I know, like, that was the funniest. And, like, and, and I, I, don't, I won't want to talk about the bit too much because the movie's not out yet, but the trailer's out and that bit is in the trailer. Oh, it like, is? It's the, it's the car wash bit where the, where the hose eats the, the uniform right off. Oh, and, that's and awesome. Like, and that was, we just sat in an office one day, I got a video of him just like putting on the things, sucking it up to the, pulling <laughs> it off and like repeating and it was just, it was very funny. I mean, it's still, there's still, Obviously, you're still able, like you said, you're a designer now. You can design that stuff, have other people build it, and then you just walk in and show how to kind of to make it work. But it gives me now the ability to go do stand-up. That road from 2004 when I started with Punk, when I started with Oscar Albrene, got into Punk, and started moving forward till the day I decided to start doing stand-up, all that stuff now gives me the ability to do three months of work, and I'm out of here. And yeah, I can go play the road. You, I can go. But you, so you, you quit pretty much cold turkey to, to when you came out here. Is that it, or was yeah? It, I was kind of burnt. I was kind of pissed. At, uh, I had, I didn't want to do it. I, I got out here, and it's a different comedy world. And so you, didn't you, you starting didn't even, over. You yeah, you starting over. And I was like, like I had just done. F- I don't know. It was like fifteen years almost. And you had no end. Did you even? No. Did you come out here? Did you look around a little bit oh, just I, to see if you really wanted to quit, or did you quit cold turkey? I it was like cold turkey. I okay. quit cold turkey, but I kept getting lured, like tempted. I remember my first apartment, my second apartment I got in L.A. 
was on Vineland near uh, Camarilla. And I took a walk one night, and I'm like, oh, two blocks down the road, and there's the Ha Ha Comedy oh. Club. And I'm like, oh, come on, there's a comedy club right here. Like, you could walk every night to a comedy club after work. But the problem was, like John was saying, there was no night. When you got home, you were just tired. Dude, you weren't beat the down. You didn't have of a, you doing didn't stand-up. That day. Yeah, yeah. And then the material just started getting further and further yeah. and further away. Like, oh, personal ads. Yeah, that's that's real topical. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> personal oh, ads. Hey, let me talk about that Bill Clinton a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> right. I mean, that's true. Like, if you're not writing, if you're not keeping that kind of, if you're not keeping that tool sharp, yeah. And, and 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 your thing is current events and whatever's going on. You're you're gonna fall. You're falling behind. And like you. And at least you had the wherewithal to know you shouldn't be going on stage and doing Bill Clinton jokes. Because <laughs> I, you know, dude, there are guys that are like, hey, George Bush is crazy. Imagine. Oh he, God. Imagine yes. if he was your dentist. Huh? A thousand points of light. I'm your dentist. Like he, they just try to crowbar the impressions that they can do oh. into everything. And you're like, dude, not, yeah, they, not you, Ooh, oh, yeah. I just heard about that Nixon thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that wonderful yeah. rendition yeah. of his. The, uh, um, so, but you're doing something that kind of, I mean, you know how this business is. I mean, other than the, you know, walking in as the FBI agent or sweeping the broom. I mean, this business pretty much is stay in your lane kind of thing when you get a job, right? Like, they don't want to hear about you used to be an actor or want to still be an actor or you used to be a stand-up or still want to be a stand-up. If they hire you to do a specific job, for the most part, they're like, just stay in your lane. So did you ever struggle with that even from an actor standpoint? Or were you kind of like, you know what? I'm, it sounds like you obviously loved what you did, but now, you know, moving towards this, going back into stand-up thing, which is also pretty interesting to me, considering you said you were in your early 50s, you know, everybody always jokes about it's a young man's game, oh. right? So it's like, do you you know, you're, you're kind of like jumping back into this pond where, look, I we were all young and assholes at one point, and you always looked at the older guys like, what the fuck are you trying to do, dude? You know? <laughs> well, that's, yeah, so, that's, I mean, I'm assuming I'm all this is going through your head. So how did you get to that point? Which point? To uh, get to, well, how did boy. you, how, how are you, did you get to the point of being okay with, like, uh, the acting, whatever, I did it, I'm good with it, and to, and to all of a sudden, you know what, I want to try this again. I, uh... I was about two, we finished punked and I was burnt out and I done, then I did Real Wedding Crashers, then I did, I did a succession of shows. I did, I mean, we did Room 401 within punk, then Real yeah, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, we, we ran for a while and at that point, I had now gotten into magic. I'm not doing it myself, but building illusions for all these magicians. Room and stuff 401, like dude. And I would watch these shows and I'd always be asked to do them because we would be, for some reason, I'd always get my butt in the, in the show somehow or I'd get a, a disclaimer and, uh, I just learned to shut my mouth, but then again, I was sucked at it. Like you would hear me say things like, "Are you going to do this bit this way? The rhythm of this bit doesn't work. The bit should be this, 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 and then this," because I know the rhythm of a joke. And then I, I had to literally be told, "Shut up!" a few times. Like this is not your, your role. And yeah, it got beaten out of me to the point where I took more pride in who I was, respected as an art director and in the art department, that I didn't care that you didn't know that I did stand up. Or I, I was an actor, or I. Meanwhile, I'm doing plays, and I'm still doing art department, and I'm doing plays and getting reviewed in L.A. Times as like this phenomenal acting job and all this. I mean, there was no Facebook, so it wasn't like I was walking yeah, around like, "Yo, were, check out this newspaper exactly, article, dude." There was exactly, no way of shoving yeah. it in people's faces, like, "Hey, man, look, I'm playing this club <sighs> and holding up this this newspaper." Uh, so. I just took pride in that, and then thought at one point I just felt like I, I was just going to act in theater. And I did some plays, and then 
I started to become content with this whole idea of not being anything else other than an art department guy who does a little bit of acting on the side. And then I started creating my own acting technique kind of thing where I would learn my lines and not think about how I was going to say them all. I would just ride the wave of an actor. And, and it got me great reviews because I would work on stage. And people had no idea how I was coming at them at, that night. With what emo They knew I'd be mad, but they didn't know if I'd be like, this kind of mad, or I'd be like, this kind of mad. And Because I ran it uh, naturally. I just be believe that if you know what you're going to say, don't think about all the words. Let the words come out of you and you get this better. We were talking about spontaneity yeah. Yeah. from people, and, and, and I was feeling good. I was like, this is good. And uh, I took a cruise to Alaska. And you know, like, you kind of feel like you're a little off a little bit. Like, there's just your wave. Also, I'm getting a little older, and the hidden camera's getting crappier. Now you can, you're yeah. hiding things with saran wrap and yeah, a couple the, of bamboo the budget, sticks. The budgets are it's shit, and ridiculous. nobody cares. They're calling like, the now, marks ahead of time to tell them what's up. Now, like, instead of bragging about comedy, I'm, like, walking on these hidden camera shows, like, you know, I used to work on punk, <laughs> and I did room 401, and this isn't how you hide a camera. And I'm like, really? This is what I'm, this is my big expertise now, which I'm proud to say I can do. Yeah. And it, it pays the bills. Yeah. And I'm on this cruise to Alaska, and I saw a comedian named Tim Kaminsky get up, and uh, he's just an old school comedian, probably 10 years older than me. He gets up, and he performs a few times during this cruise, and I'm watching him entertain these people, and I'm something, there's just something in me, like, just sparks. And I never forget, my life kind of looks at me, and she goes, what's going on? And I'm like, I got to get back up there. I got to be back there. Because it was the only place, even though it's the hardest thing you can possibly do, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a, if you're a singer, great. You got to write music, great. That's really hard. But once you write that hit song, you just sing the song and everybody listens to it. Yeah. When you're doing stand-up, I've watched John. John is one of the funniest comics I know. Get out and I don't, I've seen you, and I watched you go from Whew. goofy guy to like watching the last time doing your set. I was like, damn, like, it's hard to do what we do. And then I've seen you bomb in Dallas. It was awful. Oh, they, you, yeah. they wanted nothing to do with you. Oh, man. And music, musicians don't bomb. They don't well, really bomb. Well, they do, but they have people up there with them. Yeah, they're like, ah. If everyone's like, boo, you suck. It's like, okay, me, yeah, the bassist, listen, the drummer, eh. the other guitar player, the singer. Okay, we all suck. Fine. So I'm standing there, and I go, all right, I'm going to do stand-up. I'm going to do stand-up again. I start writing material. I do a couple of open mics. And it's scary, and I'm trying to work. And then I'm on a job doing art department. And I drop a piece of plywood on my foot. It's like three months into like, I'm going to go back to stand up. And it destroys my foot to the point where I cannot stand up. Ugh. Like I can, I'm not allowed to stand up for almost four months. Oh, wow. And I'm now standing. And then when I am allowed to stand up, I can't. You're not moving very agilely. So you would think I would take the time to write stand-up. Instead, I watch everything I could possibly watch. Beside that, I've now given up on stand-up again. I'm like, this is a sign from God. You want to stand up? <laughs> Boom! You're going to sit down, boy! That's how it felt. Like, that's, that's, how, that's how you took that? That's how oh. I, I take everything like that. Like To me, I was like, oh, my God, this is a sign. Like I shouldn't do stand-up. Now, like I said, I started in the 80s, and I'm a big fan of certain comedians. Some you may know, some you may not. I love Rich Steiner. Rich Schneider. Yeah. Canyon Man. Canyon Man. He's got a book called Kicking Through the Ashes right now, and it, he's a fantastic stand-up. Uh, he was Marilyn, married to Caroline Lee for, for a minute, but I'm sitting there pissed off quitting, and I'm like this, and I can't move because my foot is so shattered. And all of a sudden, 
it's well, I can watch all the improvs now on cable. Yeah. Oh, the El- evening at the improv. Yeah, the improvs. They're all on Amazon now. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. go, oh my god, Rich Schneider. I love Rich Schneider. I'm friends with him on Facebook now. I've actually gotten like when he f- messages me back, I get all excited. And uh, <laughs> he comes on stage with a broken foot and a pair of crutches. And I, I swear again, it was like, bam, another message. It was like, yeah. there, asshole. You don't need your fucking feet to actually do stand-up no comedy. Excuse, no yeah. excuse. And I started writing again and started writing again and started writing a little bit more. And I started, so I wrote my, like, I wrote for a good, probably a year of material. Wow. Cutting, you know, it's like you write like 500 pages, and by the time you're done, you're like, okay, I'll take here's, this half a page. Yeah, here's three sentences I can oh, that, use. Be great. Awesome. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Always like that. I always think of it like that scene in the Marx Brothers where he's, you ever see the one where he's ripping up the contract? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it feels like when you do a joke. You write a joke, and you're like, this is great. Well, no, this one sucks. You rip that bottom part off, and then you take a little bit more, and you take a little bit more, and you take a yeah. little bit more. I mean, did, you, I, did you give yourself a timeline, though? Because, I mean, the open mic circuit is brutal the first time around, so you never really lose that memory. So you have to ask yourself, how committed am I to this? Because the, the pro- you still have to go through the process, yes? Yes, but... What I learned, I do like again. I did all. I did a lot of the open mics. Some of them I don't go back to because they're just. I don't know. There's, you get no, there's no out of point. It. You, there's you no, no point. We talk no about point. that. You're, sometimes you're better off just doing it in, in your yeah. room. Yeah, by you're going to get the same response. Do it to your wife, she'll laugh. I, I'll tell you. I started the minute or I not. built <laughs> a stage with a microphone in my garage. Uh huh. Like I had this building your own build club. Your own club. <laughs> if I build come. it, I will get a contract. And I, you know what? Listen, I'm going to probably. I probably was a little medicated at the time. Hey. You know what I'm and I was like, I put a stage and I was like, oh yeah, now I'll rehearse, I'll rehearse my lines, this will be great. And then I did a couple I did the haha awful. I did a wine cellar awful. And I did started doing this fourth wall around the corner. It's like five bucks. You go up, you do your five minutes, and I but sometimes just to say stuff into a mic is is all One you word. need. So it's almost it doesn't matter that there's six comics there with their arms folded and no one gives a shit. It's like you're recording your set probably. You need to hear this out loud mm-hmm. from a stage with that energy, however you're going to deliver it. And sometimes that's all you need to go. But most oh. comics don't know that, John. Most comics, I swear, you do go in there, and if they're bombing in an open mic, they get really upset. No, and I'm like, no, keep, that's Keep this doing your for. material. I like, will change a bit midway in sentence. I'll be like, the guy walked, no, the guy went, the guy, a guy I know yeah. went into a store. And I'm not like, oh, God, please don't judge me for not knowing what I was going to say. I mean, I there's, you, I've seen. Fucking Chris Rock lean against the back wall of the comedy store and tell a joke, and then when it didn't work, pull out a piece of paper, cross it off a list, and go, okay. No, that's the process. And then yeah. read, like, he's got an amazing Gary Shandling story about watching him kind of come in and then start, he eats it, and then at the Comedy Magic Club, and he's there for uh, like all week or all weekend, and then he just continuously works on the stuff that ate it that sucked the first night and by the end of the time he's there he's got a, an amazing like, some people just write that way you know what I mean I like to be on stage say things hear them out listen to how I said them you know what I mean I can write all day like how I think I should say something but if if it's not how I would actually say it I'm never going to get there so it, to me it's like I like what you said you write out a, a whole bit and then it just slowly, you're like, well, I would never, this doesn't work, and that doesn't work. And then pretty soon you've got, and that's why I still to this day really do like Twitter is like, uh, setup and punchline. This is, you, how do you get from what I want to tell you to what you I want to do are. to say to make you laugh is like, it's quicker. I cut out all the fucking bullshit that's in between that I don't need. And it leaves room. For, I mean, I have to write more because then I'm not, it's less space, space filler, but I like it better. Well, I'm finding that 
coming back into stand-up. <laughs> Lucian was right. Like, I'm writing a lot of material about myself now, about who I am, about what I do, mm -hmm. about my wife. I still do a lot of... Ob I kind of cross the line between observational and personal yeah. life. And then I, I my whole... Op I, I have, to me, and I won't say what my opener is, but, like, I have searched forever for great openers. Like, I used to open with... I looked like Waldo when I was skinny in those glasses. <laughs> I would do ones I looked like Jesus when my hair was long. And then... Finally, it's one day, while up on this stupid stage in the middle of my garage, in the middle of the heat, talking to a microphone all by myself or in front of Steph, I say, I'm gonna, I say, oh, you know, they used to do this to my name in college, and I'm going to do this bit as the opening bit, and I, I do that bit now yep. with my name. And I, it never fails. Like, and it, it was like the door opening up and going, okay, you've got your starting point now. Once you get, once up, you get a good opener, once you get a good opener and you're like, because if, if you can go... For me, like if they if they laugh at the first thing I say, it it's just a it's a it's a it just relief. It washes over you. You're like, okay, they're with me. Now we can move forward. There might be some stuff later on that I say that I don't get a huge laugh, but at least they know that I am. Uh, they they're with me on that, and they're they they get what I'm saying. Oh, the great comics have always said you you open strong, you close strong. Whatever you do in the middle doesn't really matter because they're only going to remember what you started with and what you finished with. And I've had. Real calm. I worked with Dom Herrera once, mm -hmm. uh, and I got to open for him at the Funny Bone. Nice. And we used to have to sit in the green room. And Dom Herrera is one of the funniest human beings ever. Like, yeah. just in general, nice and funny. And he said, you know, that's what he said. He goes, as long as you got him in the opening, just, just hit him at the end. That's all you got to do. Yeah. He was, f and he would get on stage, and I, I try to do that same thing. as like I go in on stage, and I just don't want to look like I'm telling you a joke. I want to look like I'm... Getting to a joke in a minute or two, but right now I'm talking to you for real. Yeah, and then there's a punchline. And then there's a punchline, <laughs> and it was he was it was a lesson learned yeah. from watching all of them because I got to work at the Funny Bone a lot. So if you weren't watching the, if you weren't in the show, you were watching the comics, and I got to watch. I mean, like, Shanley, everybody, like everybody came through that place, Fuck and you'd yeah. just be like in the back, and the thought of being that guy just. It was a dream that you think, oh. It's like auditing a class that you really care about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're already kind of in. You can take it for free. <laughs> All you got to do is show up and, and kind of see how it's done, you know? And, and watching watching guys like that, like you said earlier, to bring it back around, is like you don't want to imitate them, but being influenced by them is certainly acceptable. And how you go about finding your own voice and how you figure out your route in, the, in that world. Well, the funny part is, going back, I had a, you know, I think I do one bit that I've done for a long time, like I used to do back then. I think there's only one little bit that I'm just, I gotta let go. Like, I'd be like, or be free. Or Frankenstein the shit out of it and make oh, it, you know, newer. And I do a 900 number bit that still works. <laughs> That kind of works because I That's, make it in the past. You, oh, well, I hope so. You're yeah. definitely, you better not be calling 900 numbers now, 10, 10, right? 220. Oh, my God. And I, and, and I, I don't know if it was my wife or Steph or somebody goes, you got to let go of the 900 number, Jack. <laughs> and I go, but I, but I made it into the past. They're like, it's still. Nobody that is anymore. No. All right, fine. But I'm going to keep my calling card joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I got this pager bit I do. It oh, is, my God. Uh, but you guys yeah. ever heard of the Telegraph? Let me tell you something. <laughs> I said this. Western <laughs> Union. Oh my God! But that's that. Unless you go off on a whole description of the 900 number and that yeah. that era of time and what it meant to like get a three thousand dollar phone bill because you've been beaten off to somebody's voice. Oh like. my God! 
my, my the joke is so funny is because I listen to so much of my material now from then that I can't put it on. Like I gotta keep pulling it off because I'm like, oh my god, I'm a racist. <laughs> you know, like like I do Seven Eleven jokes, a few jokes that are little. Like now, yeah. I'm like, oh god, get that off of there. Especially the way things are right now. It's oh, like, oh, yeah. look, I'm going to come back yes. and, oh, forget the crazy, stupid you, me you that we bump, used to You bump work. one comic off a show, and the guy goes and finds your worst joke online. He's like, uh, this is the guy who bumped me. It's a 7-Eleven racist motherfucker. <laughs> so now my material has, I'm developing all this new material that's fun because it's about being older. I'm not, I haven't touched into talking about being in punk or anything like that. Like, I try not to, uh, I, don't I don't do anything in my act that kind of, because I always feel like, I'm bragging when I talk about it, especially when people go, who were you on punk And I'm like, no, no, no. No, I am punk like, <laughs> No, you don't understand. There was... Yeah, I mean, unless you every, have, I've like... I've done every season. But unless you have, like, a worked out... Like, I find I don't talk about stuff like that either unless there's a worked out story within that world and the setup would, would mean that I would need to talk about that. You know what I mean? Like, I would never just, like, talk mm. about that show on stage because it doesn't... I mean, it, like... For me, I I do I I talk about my life and who I am and and like uh, to me the, the more personal, the funnier and more relatable it is. Um, even if you don't think it's relatable, if it's legit, it's happened to somebody else and at least one person will go. Uh, they might not laugh, but they'll go. Yeah, I get mm -hmm. that. Um, whereas like if I'm talking about like, I feel like that's another job. You know what I mean? Like I if I had a if I was a job if I, my job was being a waiter, I probably wouldn't talk so much about being a waiter. On stage, Do you but know I think I mean? that you're right in that even more because I find that the comics I watch today, starting out, they're told just talk about everything who you are, and they talk about the worst things like that, and not the stuff that you really want to hear. It's like complaining about who you are is one thing; doing stand-up comedy is a complete yeah another realm. And I get that people are working stuff out, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, we don't need to know that much personal information about you yeah 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 there are some people who and again it's all subjective it's like depending on how it's delivered oh, God. you can hear the most personal thing about somebody and it could be hilarious like richard Pryor, he dug deep you know what i mean he talked about real personal stuff but then made it so you're like holy shit not only would i never do that but i still think it's funny like, right it's, and they teach he taught a lesson like there was almost a lesson in the way like you were like whatever he did when he talked about his personal life, here's why not yeah. to do this. <laughs> and he wouldn't. He wouldn't go to points where you're like, "Hey, man, like nobody yeah. needed to know that right, part of your right. life." Like, yeah. I, but I, then again, like Chappelle does that whole thing about his feet. Dude, I, I was just gonna. I was just thinking about that. How he talks about fucking feet now. Yeah. And you're like, uh, I don't know. I mean, everyone's got their weird sexual hangups, but I don't need to know that you press your wife's feet together and <laughs> yeah. fuck them. Like that's weird to me. But again, it's weird to me. There's probably a guy in the audience going, yeah, man, you fuck some feet, dude. That's what you do. That's fuck what those you feet. do. That's what you do like, when you're a feet fucker. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's different for everybody. You, so how long, how long ago did you get back in the game? Uh, before the foot accident, it was like 2016. Okay. And, and, and I did and a film. I started in a film for a horror film. Oh, yeah. The, and that that took me off the lot market for... The a, painting? Like, yeah, the painting. I did a horror film. That was a couple months shooting, and then okay. a lot of promo, and I had to shave my head. And again, I couldn't go on stage anymore because my head was all bald. And I'm not. The, I, there's nowhere you can go. I always dreamed of being able to just get back up on a stage with a bunch of bunch of people and have 15 minutes and be like, "Hey, just talk topical," because I like talking topical, or I like going off the cuff a lot. So I thought, "Oh, that would really be fun." But no, I looked ridiculous. I was completely bald. Shaved. You know what? It's it is funny. I mean, I know there you were. You're probably frustrated because you had a 900 joke in a dream. But the, the <laughs> thing, and the dream got me the 900. But joke. but the um, um, 
it is funny, and I've noticed this because I'm I, I I sometimes I'm uh, bearded, sometimes I'm not bearded, and I've noticed, and sometimes I wear certain types of clothes, sometimes I don't, and I've noticed that all those little things make a difference in your set depending on what your identity is. Oh yeah, and people react to you differently. So I totally understand. Like you know, you'd be like, well, shit, the way I look right now, what I want to do, I'm not, I don't necessarily know if I'm going to get what I want out of this, and so it's it it is a weird the look. Does have something to do with it. So does demeanor. So does rhythm. Yeah. So yeah, does the actual right. joke itself. But there is definitely something about everything from your head to your toes that people identify with whatever it is that's coming out of your mouth. It's I, really I mean, interesting to me. A, a, a perfect example of that would be Dan. I don't know his last name, but Larry the Cable Guy. You know what I mean? Like that was a guy who wore khakis. Dan Whitney. Dan Whitney wore khakis, a polo. And yeah, he had a little twang. He's from Florida or whatever. And um, had a bit about the cable guy coming to his house. And then slowly that bit got bigger. And then he started coming out on stage with a roll of cable. And then he's wearing flannels every night. And then he just became the character in the story that he used to tell, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, saying it out loud, it sounds psychotic. (laughs) But like, but. I mean, he wrote that. He did that. That's him. He made that character. He hires writers. He treats everybody well. He yeah, he's a nice guy. Everyone gets paid. He's got his own tour bus. His writers are on a different bus. Like, everyone is well taken care of on the old Larry the Cable Guy tour. Uh, and he's cultivated an audience that fucking loves him. Good on you, man. Good on you. But that is like a kind of a I think that's that's what I'm talking about on steroids, because obviously that's yes. creating a character. Yeah. But, like, even us... As just regular guys on stage, there's still people still identify something about. There's a character there, and er, 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 and an audience member is looking at you and trying to assess what your character is. Like you were talking before about, you know, yes, it is extremely important to be funny to start and funny to end, but in the middle is your character. That's that's your identity, and I think that those that succeed on a very high level. It's because in the middle, they've created an identity that is unforgettable to that audience, and they don't walk away going, hey, that one guy was funny. What they say was, so-and-so was really funny. That's the win, right? Yeah. So not only do they have the great opener and the great closer, but they also left mm-hmm. them with the identity that they never forgot who that person was. They learned they, who yeah, you were yeah. in that set. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they and do didn't forget. Set. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but I find... No, but they... That, but, uh, I'm sorry, but that's the funny part is, is in comedy, I attack comedy with so much science now and so much rehearsal and so much... Fiber optics? Fiber... I, okay. it's, if I didn't have that and background, I wouldn't know how to get... Full circle. Full circle. I wouldn't know how to get that light to beam into the right Boom. point. Don't come around a thousand here points science. of light. A thousand points of light. Is that a George Bush joke? Yes. Hello. Work it is this in. One? Work it is this one? Work it in. Uh, I'm much more scientific, and I look at it and go, all right, what can I do to make them never forget my name? What can I do? What can bit can I? What well, bit saying is it a thousand times. Saying in the a beginning, thousand times. That's Michael Costa used to do that. He'd walk out. Hi, Michael Costa. He'd hand out business cards. Hi, Michael Costa. Hi, how are you, Michael Costa? And now that, and then it's. I have mm-hmm. to. I know that write catch lines like some things. Jokes. I want jokes that people go. Uh, I do a joke about the word or, and I, and now people. I see people like we say it'll go or, <laughs> and they like, and I'm like that's. So yeah, it is. It's, there's your T-shirt. Or. Yeah, or. Or right in the middle of a shirt. And all of a sudden, um, it's exactly it. It's just mm-hmm. creating a science of what do you need to do in the middle so that they remember you and you're not just like that other guy or that other guy that was on stage. So that's what I'm I'm trying to do now is coming back into it is write material that is more about 
I mean, come on. I'm a 50s-year-old man, mm -hmm. white, and I decide what can I do to make my life just get richer and better. I'll go into the entertainment industry. I'm going to be a comedian. And I'm going to go into comedian because what else would you do at this age? Because there's not really, I mean, not that many people are doing comedy no. anymore. It's, it's, no. The, no. The, well, the C is so much smaller. And there's like 100, 150 but max. Billion? That, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> but when you, when you were talking earlier about when, Served. When, like, who were your influences, where did you, and where did you see comedy, and, and why didn't you, once you did it after in high school, why didn't you pursue it right away? It was because, like you had said, you didn't, you'd see a George Carlin or a Richard Pryor, and you were like, well, I'm not, I can't, I don't know how you do that. You don't, I, there's no, there was no, there was no explanation of how to become a comedian. Now, all some kid has to do is watch a YouTube video, and they go, oh, yeah, I can do that. I got to start making YouTube videos. And, like, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very different world where more people are, and I'm not saying that these people aren't capable of becoming comedians or aren't going to be good comedians, but, like, more people think, oh, I can get it, I can do this. More people have that, yeah. that that thought than they did back when I was starting, which most people had the thought of, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this. Well, Or just, wow, that's how great. the hell do you even do that? I mean, you have to put the time yeah. and the research, sit back. Where do you like, go? Literally, all you... of a sudden, you go, I'm finding a comedy club. I'm going to go find an open mic, and I'm going to sit in the back for a couple months, and I'm going to watch this shit and find out what the hell is going on here mm -hmm. and really determine whether or not what I believed inside of me is true. Yeah, I can do that. It's like, I think a lot of people, the social media has uh, forced people to skip that process. Mm -hmm. Teach his own whatever. I think ultimately to stay in the game, you just got to want to do it. You got to want to do it for yourself. If that. you don't, if you have no interest in doing it for yourself, no. well then what the hell you, it's, it's, it's a journey not worth having if you're not, if you're really not into it. Okay, I enough. Think oh. Kyle Kinane says it best. He says he'll tell new comics. He goes like, if you would do comic for comedy for free for the rest of your life, then you should get into it. But if you wouldn't, like, only get into comedy if you're prepared to do it for free for the rest of your life. And, yeah. and I think that's a good, if you really love doing it, you'll keep doing it. And, and the people that don't usually fall off, and the people that can't handle it will fall off, you know what I mean? And then, sure. And ideally, it leaves more room. But I, I never knows? thought of that, because I remember when comedy classes, stand-up comedy classes started, mm -hmm. and I thought, why you can't, how do you learn, who teaches that's you how to do stand-up? That's what I thought, too. You can't be And I remember my I think my all-time favorite comedian is Bill Hicks. Like, I just love Fair. what he did. He stood on stage. He spoke his mind. He said great things, but yet he was important. He was as important as Lenny Bruce. He was, he, he was as important as George. And um, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, Bill Hicks, favorite comic on stage. Oh, on stage. And he said that um, – who was the, the person? Jay Leno. That's what it was. Jay Leno said – he was teaching a comedy class, and you're supposed to go in, and you to play that club, you have to take the comedy class. And he goes, Bill Hicks got up in the middle of mine because he was forced to be there because he wasn't famous yet, and just got up and left. And I thought, that's the guy who's going to be a good comedian, is the guy who's not sitting here listening to my bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. I've never... Thought, I would sit there and be like, listen, what do you mean? It, like, Nicky Attitude is the, was like my mentor in comedy. Like He was the guy, he was the older guy in Philly who let me go on all the roads with him. He used to go, best, best joke setup is set up, punch, tag, tag. That was the only lesson I ever learned about stand-up. <laughs> set up, punch, tag, tag. And to this day, pretty much if you hear a great joke, it's the setup, it's the punch, and then there's usually two tags on the end. That is the, the perfect joke setup. But... That's it. That's all they can teach you. How to be funny and how to write a joke. 
I was always like, this is ridiculous. They can't. Yeah. And now I, I hear it. Now I hear people go, <clears throat> my mom used to take me to school when I was a kid, and I used to say to her, why do I have to get in the car? And she said, because it's too far to walk. Yeah. Well, and that, but that's public speaking. That's teaching public speaking exactly. and being able to have confidence on stage. The actual um, uh, performance aspect of it is that's either in you or it's not. Well, or you, know? you, or you I teach yourself. Or you teach yourself. Yeah. Or it's learned as you do it. It's time spent, right? It's time spent self-teaching and learning. You can, and yes, mentors are the same thing as teachers. It's just... They're not calling it a class, and they're not asking you. They're not asking you for X amount of dollars and putting you in a room and doing that kind of stuff. For some people, like I used to be totally anti it. I understand it's free stage time for some people, yeah. and for a lot of those people, they're doing it. They have no intentions of ever becoming well, a stand. I a love those there. people though. There's See, I like couple, them. They just want to just do it. Well, and that's a, fine too. Yeah, and there's a couple like you could do it for a, a team building thing for work. There's a couple. There's a bunch of different reasons to take a stand up class, and I do think that there is. There's validity to if you've never been on stage before and you don't and, and being in a class gives you at least a support group, at least a group of people that are like, you know what? Yeah, we've never been on stage before either. And now we're all going to give this a shot. So at least if you really want to try it, a class isn't a bad way to go about it. Now, yeah. once you are OK with getting on stage, it, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a class that would teach you how to write material that's best suited for you. Yeah. The only way you figure that out is by going on stage it's all the time, it's constantly, good. whenever you can, every day, nonstop. Like when you, when I first started doing comedy, like I would go up anywhere, anywhere, people's weddings, people. I didn't. Well, that's ridiculous. Well, if someone's like, "Hey, man, do do five minutes," I would do five minutes. Now, yeah, is it ridiculous? Did it equal a lot of shitty sets? People throwing napkins, that kind of crap. Yeah, it did. Wait, was it napkins next to a couch? No, that was uh no. Oh no, no. <laughs> okay. It wasn't a Full white circle. tissue. Okay. In your Turns circle. out you've been performing three months in a row at this place. At a cabin in Wisconsin. <laughs> Are you still doing the throw the napkin <laughs> I do bit? The tissue bit. It's great. But doesn't it go with the nine hundred bit? You <laughs> can get I, the can tissue because you're on a nine hundred number. Were you in New York at the time of nine eleven? Yes, I watched the uh, I watched the towers fall. What was I? I I'm always fascinated. It's, I, I, we were going on almost good God, almost twenty years uh, past, but. What was that? Can you, just out of curiosity, I'm sure you've probably shared the story a million times, but I'm just curious. I'm always curious people who are actually there. You know, where were you at that point in your life? What was going on, and how what how, how did that actually affect you personally? Um, I'll never forget. I was sleeping, and the girl that I was broken up with was coming to New York, and she called me up and said, "Hey, a plane hit one of the towers. I don't know what's going on. You might want to check it out." And I was in my pajamas. I lived two blocks from the river, so I could literally go down and see the Twin Towers. From so where were you exactly? I was in West New York okay. on the other side of the river. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it's probably just, a, you know, somebody in a stupid putt-putt play. And then all of a sudden you turn the corner and it's just air. And then it was shocking. It was, it was life-altering. It was, I, I, you couldn't call anybody because you couldn't get through. And it felt like the apocalypse at this point. And then... To watch them, a street full of people, and you're looking, and people are crying and freaking out because their family's right there, and they, they left that morning for work, and they're freaking out, and then all of a sudden the tower fell, and I'll never forget that group of people went. So silent. you were outside watching this. Happen. I was standing on the riverside up on like when if you go to West New York, it's like a cliff is is a uh, boulevard east, and then it drops off 
there's one more little road, and then it's the river, and then it's Hudson River to New York. So I'm literally right across from the towers. And Did you see the second plane hit, or were you? I couldn't see it. You couldn't see it, but because it was so smoky. Happened. But you knew you saw the boom, and like everything's going on. And so you stayed once. Once you went out, did you stay out for that whole time? Were you like a I shock? ran back up? You did okay to get my roommate, or no, to see if my roommate was there, or to grab some shoes or something. And it was then I looked at the screen. Before then, it was the silence. The tower falls, and we're just sitting there, and we're just all shaking, and you're just looking, and there's this cloud of smoke rolling over the entire New York skyline. And my best friend and my roommate Michael uh, Armone works right there, and your Tony and Tina's wedding is. Fire department is going dispatch. It's insane what's going on, and there's complete silence. The tears are screaming. I go up to my apartment. The TV's on now, and I, and the tower. And I look, and I think they're replaying the tower fall, and it's not. It's the second tower falling. So I just ran back down there, and just I I, I can't describe the vulnerability you felt as a human being at this point because you're looking at this. You couldn't believe this was happening. This unbelievable and New York tragedy. is small. New York small. is not big. And you're watching this. It's not smoke. It's the dust. And it's not that rolling. far away. Oh, and yeah. you're this far, and you're watching a cloud roll from Lower Manhattan, West Side, Mid Manhattan into Harlem. Like you're like, oh my god. And this is. Everybody says they have a ghost story about things, but I remember sitting there, and I hadn't been drinking at all at that point. I had stopped drinking, um, and I hadn't done. Much of anything, and the guy comes up to me, looks at me, and he goes, "Do you want to go smoke a joint?" And I said, "Yes, yeah, I do." And his apartment, we go into the apartment building, which is right on the river. His kitchen window, you could still see out. And I sat there and I talked to this man as we sat there, no knowledge of each other. We smoked a joint. He talked about the fact that he was there, and he wanted to. He he made him even want his wife and kid back more that he had messed up. He really wanted his wife back, and he's trying everything right now. And we, you know, we had this conversation. It was just very opening. I got really high, and we go down. And I don't even know when we went back home to our apartments at this point because it's just a blur. But I remember a couple months later, I went back to that building to find that guy. And I remember I had dreadlocks or something was about him. I described wonderful man, and he said, uh, "I go to the front desk. I go, hey, is there's this guy? He's blah, blah, blah. I talk to him. And he goes, you're talking about, and I, I'm not going to say a name because I don't know what it is. And he goes, no, he moved out, man." He got back with his wife and his kid. And I was like, boom. Boom. Like, you know, it's something about something. And it was because of that, Tony and Tina's wedding. I was off Broadway at this point in the New York version of Tony and Tina's wedding. Broadway's closed down. And then Tony and Tina's wedding was one of the first shows to start doing morning talk shows. Oh, I was on morning, 6 a.m., eating spaghetti in Little Italy, trying to get people back to New York. All the theater was trying. Yeah. I remember eating spaghetti with <laughs> Fabio. And I got this picture somewhere on my internet where my. I'm standing next to Fabio in my tuxedo with my long hair, making fun of his hair. And uh, I was a PA, like you said. I was directing theater on a boat. Like I was doing whatever I can to make money. And it was that moment where kind of life was a little more precious. And you start thinking, what do, what do I want to do here? Yeah. And <laughs> I got limited time. What, how, do I wanna, how do I want to spend it? Yeah. And then that's when I stepped away. You know, that's when I... Tony and Tina's came, I mean, uh, Punk came into town. I was offered the job, and it was kind of like I was just swept away with the the emotion of getting out of here. So by the time I kind of landed here, stand-up already was something that I felt I had already been through, and I had done it. I wasn't going to get any better. I felt 
I didn't think about it as much. And it took standing and watching this guy on a Norwegian cruise talking about whatever he was talking about, making hundreds of people laugh, that I was like, It was more about that experience of what, going, I want, I know how that feels. I remember how I that feels. I remember how that felt. That I want that back. Nikki Attitude said to me, the greatest feeling, John, you'll re- relate to this. Do you do stand-up? Yeah. Yeah, you'll relate to this, right? There's no greater power, no greater feeling of power, energy, and enjoyment of your life than when you tell a joke, it lands, they're laughing, they're applauding, you turn around, you get your drink, and when you turn around, you look at these people and they're all staring at you, waiting for the next words to come out of your mouth. He goes, that is the greatest moment. And all it took is that taste a little bit, taste a little bit more, taste a little bit more, and then... Somehow, my big return show was the main room at the Ice House. That's great. What a TK thing. That f- TK, I can't tell you how many people have brought TK up, how much he's been talked about on this show. We he's should fantastic. probably just have him on. Because, Please. Yeah, because he, he was the guy who got me all my stage time when I first started out. And he, before me, there were guys that, that he got all their stage. Like, there was just... He's, I, he's been around, he's been doing it, he's been helping people get stage time for quite some time. I was surprised, because I got on stage, now I hadn't played in front of a real audience, live, big crowd, in, I don't know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I've been playing small little places, open mics, little venues, like little things, but not a club. This is my life, this is, this is my blood. Like This is what I lived for, playing those different clubs. And it's now, it was supposed to be on top of the Federal, which I've shot a dozen hidden camera shows the Fed- in Burbank? the Federal and Bar- Burbank. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm going to play. You get to do seven minutes. I don't know what I'm going to be. I mean, whatever number. Nobody knew who I was. And TK goes, show got pushed, man. You got to, we got to, can you get people to the main room at the Ice House in Pasadena? I'm like, what? what? I'm like, yeah, I can get people there. So it's a pretty packed house. It's a pretty good show. And everybody's doing good. Some great comedian. I mean, everybody was great. And then I just got up and I started that first bit. And when the crowd cheered and people started to sing, and I was like, holy shit, I'm, I'm back. And I rode that wave and that audience. I didn't have that many people there. I think I had like. Doesn't matter. You were at the main room of the Ice, ice house, house, which yeah. is a notoriously fun room. Mashed yeah. the audience to the point where as I'm walking off stage, TK grabs me by the shoulders and goes, God damn it, you're fucking funny. He goes, You're like a pro. You've done this. You're a pro. I'm going to book you again. And then I booked me a few more times and then I played. The Ice House one more time. I played the second stage with the Ice House. And there's no better feeling for me as a comedian than when you're doing your set and you watch and the audience is reacting to a point where other comedians come into the room to hear what all the fucking stars are yeah. about. Yeah. And I'm, again, and there's only eight people, so it wasn't like I owned the audience, so yeah. I knew I was doing my set. And I'm like, bam, 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 and I finished the last bit. And I wanted them to do one thing for me. I wanted them to react a certain way. And I held out the mic. And I walked off the stage and walked through the crowd. And TK looked at me and just went like this. I got to headline you now. He goes, I've got to start headlining you. Boom. And I'm like, thank you. I go, I just, I don't know if I can do it. I'll start. And then I did my first headlining gig. And I sold the place out. I oversold the house. Like, I had so many people come out to see me. And it was great because, like, some Tony and Tina's wedding. I've worked on the Michael Carbonero show, the Carbonero yeah, effect. Yeah. He came out to see the show. Oh, like, that's great, man. And people now are coming to see me and being like, Holy shit, like you're a comedian. Uh, it's because like they didn't so know this before. Going, it's so weird. Yeah, because people are so used to going, hey man, come out to see me and do stand up. You yeah. get out there and they're like, <clears throat> two jokes, three jokes, four jokes, ha 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 ha, and walk off. And I, I, I like to think of my show as like kind of like, you don't know where I'm going to go. And I, 
I, I have a formula. I know that I'm going to make fun of the space when I get up there. I'm going to pick something out that's live to bring the audience to let them know that I'm there with them. I'm not talking at them. And then I get into my bits. And he's right. There's, I've never, there's, was, uh, when I was standing up there and I walked off the stage, my wife just looked at me and went like, Okay. I'll okay. stay with you. Yeah, I'll stay with you. I'll, I'll stay with you. You're gonna I'll stay with you. <laughs> she gave me the best compliment. I'm sorry. She gave me the best compliment I ever heard her. You know, like you hear somebody talking about you, and you go, oh. oh. And somebody, she was talking to somebody who hadn't seen me do stand-up yet. And we were at some event, because my wife's a Renee uh, is my wife, and she's an amazing wedding planner and public speaker and stuff. And I am in awe of her every day, how hard she works. And I hear her say to somebody, somebody goes, so is it fun going to see Joe do stand-up in that, like, isn't he cute yeah, and adorable? And yeah. she goes, no, you don't get it. When he's on stage, you watch and think to yourself, yeah, that's where he's supposed to be. And I was like, oh, that's nice. a little teardrop on my yeah. eyes. Like, that's my wife. Someone, <laughs> someone who gets you. Instead of, she could have been like this, it's driving me fucking yeah. crazy. He uh, tells me one more joke mm -hmm. at 8 o'clock in the morning right. and kill him. Well, also, eventually she gets to the point where she's not going to be coming to every show. No. You know no, what I mean? No, she she has, she's only yeah. been to maybe... She comes to the big ones. Yeah, she comes to... That's all my wife does. My wife shows... If it's, if it's a Crawford's... If I do Crawford's where she can get a chicken sandwich, she'll go there. Or <clears throat> she'll come to the improv or whatever. You yeah, know. like I'm headlining the Ice House again August 8th. August 8th, everybody. August 8th. August 8th. Are you going to take out the white shirt from the 90s? Is it no, the time? here, but I do have an outfit now. Like, oh, I have God. an actual award. Like, I thought about what I need to wear when I'm on stage. Right. Because you look at things and go... I, you know, I put some weight on and I got a little bit of a belly and. You're fucking fifty, the, bro. Well, you're not supposed to be a ripped model. But Don't worry about I it. I look no, like I mean, an old look guy. At, look at me. I look like uh -huh. an old guy. Ridiculous. I'm fifty years old. I get up there with my. I look like, all right, dude. You shouldn't be wearing that. You should. Like, I went through a bunch of shirts. Like, eh. uh. so then I went back to old school and I just wear like a suit jacket with a t-shirt underneath it. A little old. There uh, he is. Richard there, Lewis. There we and go. And it works and it gives me a nice. It gives me my maturity level on stage to be like I'm not a kid. But I'm also not really an adult. I'm not really an adult because... <laughs> you can't put a tie on. I'm yeah. Do you have kids? No, no, no. Okay. I have dogs. Thank God. Is, okay. And that's funny is I do jokes about my dogs now. I never did Talk that about what you know, man. I mean, oh look, there's funny shit in everything you do every day. No matter, And the more serious people take things, the funnier those things are. So, like... Make fun of what you're nerdy about. Yeah. I don't know. I it's love that shit. Funny is that when you do stand-up, I've never done cocaine. I do. I do enjoy the smell. Um, Argus Hamilton. Uh, or that was. I thought that was danger food. No. Well, I mean, Argus used to say, uh, I, "I, I don't do. I never liked cocaine. I just like the way it smelled." Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hey, I don't like cocaine. I just like the way. It, anyway, uh, I was. Uh, there was a point where. Um, oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. No. That's all right. You're well, in your fifties. You're in your fifties. <laughs> we gotta get your. That's nurse. the joke. I, I, I got There's up on stage the joke. Day. I got up here. on stage and I was like, um, and somebody had said, uh, "Hey man, do you want to do you want to do cocaine? You got some. I got oh, some you must have been at the Laugh Factory. <laughs> and I go, I like. The and same I'm thing like, happened to me. Really? Yes, I got off stage and a girl was like, "You want to go do blow?" And I was like, "No, dude, I wouldn't ask no. you two idiots." To I know. Do right? I gotta be honest with you. I was shocked that somebody That's even walked up to me and of hilarious. all the people, of all the people. I normally it's like, "Hey man, watch out! That motherfucker's an arc. <laughs> yeah. That guy's probably a cop." Don't pull your coke out around this guy. Yeah, he yeah. definitely has yeah. two kids. Yeah, he's on. He's got nine one one on speed dial. He's a fucking. Narc. Oh my god! I was. Like, I was asked to leave a party once. People were like, "Dude, you're freaking everyone out because they think you're a cop." I'm like, I'm just trying <laughs> to have fun here. 
I do see that. We'll do it somewhere. But I had, but I cut my hair really short, and I've been a cop on punked. If you watch the one where we blew up Natalie, whatever her name is, Ambrosia, no. Natalie Imbruglia? Imbruglia? No. no, Somebody uh, like. Was it the studio? Natasha. It was his ex girlfriend at the. Yeah, it was the one where we made, we had to blew up her purse. I could do a whole show on the shit that happened behind. Oh, yeah. I could write a book on the shit that happened behind punk. Well, you should. Well, you signed an NDA, Joe. Yeah. Did you? Did those last forever? I don't uh, know. No, they last for 25 years. Or All right. Well, you really? There, there's a limit to them. Really? I, don't, I think. That's hilarious. Because I, I, I originally wanted to. You guys do a podcast. I am. I we do? do po- no, I, <laughs> my do. wife wants me to do a podcast. You shouldn't? I, 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 no, I'm just kidding. You can do I whatever shouldn't. you want. I, I wanted to do one just called. Uh, shit I did on Punked, and it would just we could just bring it in. You should all the ridiculousness that we got away with on that show, dude. You'd probably have a million listeners in about two weeks. So. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, <laughs> that's the funny thing about Punked. I mean, we talked about this when the show first started, but like again, just the tr- the name Punked. Like people are like, "Are you punking me right yeah, now?" Like that didn't even exist until that that show. It's like, in the dictionary. No one, no longer. Remember before Punked, it was uh, what candid, candid camera, camera or whatever, right? But no one was saying, "Hey, you can't." Uh, Candid cameraing me, like no, yeah. It wasn't until punk where like it became a thing. Like instead of you, instead of are you fucking with me? Now it's literally are you, are punking, you punking me? me? Yeah. Oh, I like when I'm on a hidden camera show and now. And people say that, and people say it, and then everybody knows because you know that's they look, they just turn and look at me like, yep. uh, dude. I remember like, no. The first when they first came, they're like, okay, the title of the show is going to be called Harassed, and I was like, uh, and then immediately the legal department was like, harassing people is against the law. <laughs> You can't call a show harassed or harassment or whatever. And they're like, okay. So they went back in and I think it was Jason, Matt Mazant, Ashton, maybe TJ, a couple other people around a table that were like, yeah, punked. You know, so it was like, I was asked to come up. They asked all the producers to come up with 50 names. And mine were like, fuck you and pickle pickle fist and like all these garbage <laughs> names that were that were never going to work like I'm surprised you stayed on the show no, dude, I, one of your recommendations was, was pickle least, fist i was fired <sighs> at least twice i um, did the, i did the episode where we made fake poop oh god uh, and billy rainey was the director and he comes walking with the camera and says joe we have to the department wants us to do a disclaimer so could you explain how you make it so i do like this stuff making fun of how you make poop and it's all like we're not Chocolate actually making bars. someone eat real poop, and, and and he's like, just do it for the for the thing, and I do. Let kids don't play with your poop, and then the the episode airs, and it's actually right goes it. like this. But first, here's a disclaimer, and it cuts to a close up shot of me doing this whole thing about poop, and yeah. kids don't play with your poop, and I'm like, oh fuck, that's really wild. Then time goes on, and I'm in Vegas with my friend, and we're in, I don't know how I won a bunch of money in poker, and I got a cabana and an MGM Grand. <laughs> and uh, so we're, me and my buddies are all hanging out, and, and this hot girl just keeps kind of staring at me. And my, I don't notice it. My buddy goes, bro, this, this girl over there, she keeps looking at you. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm awesome. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And I go over, and she comes over, and she goes, how do I know you? And I go, joking around, just joking around, go, well, you ever watch Punked? And she goes, you're the guy who disclaimers the poop, right? And ah, I'm like, there we go. Wow. That's hey, not what I was going you. for, but uh, love well, the show and walked away. I was just say that you know that was the beauty of that situation. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end immediately. <laughs> I was like, oh. you didn't have to spend the rest nope. of the night wondering or hoping uh, or any of those positive things. Not, uh, you're the guy who, discla- who makes. You're the guy who explains the poop. Yep. in punk. Hey, yeah, love better, that. Better show. than being a guy who's Thanks. not on the show, right? That's who it is, and then, uh, like walked away, and I'm like, "Yeah, guys, you know, you know, <laughs> high five, dudes." <laughs> the poop guy from punk. 
All right, so August 8th, you're at the Ice House? August 8th at the Ice House. At the Ice House. And eventually your book. And eventually. And your podcast. Your book, your podcast. You got any other dates you want to plug? I'll take that as a no. No. Sorry. No. Uh, but yeah, he's check. I mean, go on Facebook. You can find Joe Dallo, J-O-E-D-D-A-L-O, uh, which is how you spell it, but not how it's legally spelled. And, 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 no, it's and spelled Google. D-A-L-O. The funny part is, is I changed it because of stand-up, because nobody could say my name. They'd say Delu, Dala, Dalaka, Deluhu, Dalala. And I added one L and made it D-A-L-L-O, and then people suddenly saw Gallo, put a D in front and went Dallo. Ah. And now the irony is, I. You can't forget my name at this point. Yeah, come see my show. Just yell your name come see me. And, 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 tr- Instagram. and just go on YouTube and at least try to search out uh, poop disclaimer and see if oh. you show up. Yeah. <laughs> or racist rants. Let's try okay, that. Great. 7 Eleven. Uh, 7 Eleven. <laughs> You're an evolved man, Joe. That's Thank okay. You, it's okay. You're an evolved man. Uh, I will have just come back. When this airs, I'll just be back. Oh, time travel. DC. So that was great. Thanks, everybody, at the Comedy Loft. I had a great time. I was tired. It was amazing. <laughs> Uh, all right, that's our show, guys. Joe, thank you for being on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, Brian, uh, that's it, right? Yeah, I'll be here in my uh, basement. Uh, You're not allowed out. Okay. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 